Magic Without Fears, Hermetic Podcast. I'm your host, Frater R.C. For more and exclusive episodes, visit magicwithoutfears.com. Thank you for your support. Without Fears, Hermetic Podcast. I'm your host, Frater R.C. For more and exclusive episodes, visit magicwithoutfears.com. Thank you for your support. Okay. And, you know, that starts with, you know, things like Advaita Vedanta or whatever else one might investigate. And I started talking with uh, BT, you know, BT and I were exchanging emails and um, it soon turned into us um, sending each other like these audio files of, hey, this is what's happening now. And the idea was, you know, I was asking him um, because of his worldly knowledge, um, what in the GD, you know, um, how can one meld the GD with non-duality? And of course, his his quick response was, you know, there's non-duality all over the place. You know, just take the BRH. Um, that that whole thing is a synthesis of non-duality. Um, and but I was going in a different direction. You know, like um, and when I say that, I mean, like I said, you know, I was looking at at Beta. Um, I was looking at Zen as an avenue towards non-duality, and and then that's when I got that email that I mentioned to you where, you know, um, you talked about giving a class on the 32 keys. And um, I had listened, I had re-listened to a podcast that he'd given um, with Greg Kaminsky on a cult of personality. This was a few years back. Um, and it, like, it started, you know how you have that, uh, you know, your reticular activating system will go, you know, um, wild when you get a new car and you start seeing that same model and color everywhere, same thing happened. You know, it's like non-duality started just flooding my awareness as it is wont to do. And so, you know, that's, that's the long and the short of that. I mean, you know, like he was offering what I was looking for at the time I was looking for it. It was one of, you know, just one of those magical things, but to answer your question, um, <laughs> And I know that that was a lengthy response already, but but to get to the heart of your question, you know, um, it's it's not beginner material. I think that it's elementary enough that anybody who hasn't been um, biased in one direction or another can easily 
uh, grok what he's talking about and, and get into it. But, you know, it's, it's definitely uh, advanced as far, at least for me, you know, I mean, um, yeah. I'm a pumpkin spice latte basic bitch. You know what I mean? Like <laughs> that shit was advanced. So yeah, I don't know, it, does that answer the question? Yeah. It's interesting. Um, you've you've set my mind to spin and think about what does it really mean for pardon me something to be advanced, and especially mm -hmm. when it comes to yeah spirituality, um, like obviously it could have to do with where something starts does it start further down the road as if as in you need a a bunch of premises fulfilled before you can pick up the 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 trail or is it does it mean it's just the kind of trail that you're on will go steep like a black diamond right. or does it mean right. that it'll, it'll get you furthest farthest you know mm. those are i think the three kinds of things that could be meant when someone says something's advanced right either it doesn't start right. at the beginning i it goes fast and the ascent is 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 challenging or it goes farthest or farther and therefore um is intense and when it comes to yeah looking at deep principles of kabbalistic alchemy and the 32 keys which is what i just got um thanks for, to the wonderful birthday present from mom um you know shout out to mothers that's right and, Love you, Ma. Uh, yeah yeah big time um yeah i'm i'm, I'm not quite sure because i haven't gotten to to dive into it but that's why i'm curious about your experience in his 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 courses uh online that people can can get and uh i'm curious to uh explore that stuff one day i think looking at at the the system he lays out it, it looks like it is one that you could you could start with um but i think it would be very challenging to to start with that at the same time i don't think necessarily like practicing hermetic magic or kabbalah would be the best way to necessarily prepare yourself to handle what what is gotten into in david right. smith's hermetic kabbalistic alchemical system of progression it looks like it looks like it could be again yeah it looks like it definitely is most like i looking at just just taking a gander over all of it i feel very well prepared for what's in it to the extent that it's like oh this is this is my language and this this is the kind of thing i would expect from someone who is showing me new avenues within the realms I know, but I would not want to come into it from nothing, especially, and by mainly, by, by that I mean mainly, here's the interesting part, I don't mean theoretical knowledge. I, I, I'm glad I have a strong background in Kabbalah and, and, and Hebrew and alchemy and, and stuff like that, but I don't necessarily feel like it's my learned intellectual knowledge that makes me see his stuff as as a comfortable pathway ahead if i choose to walk down it it what what makes me feel that way is actual mystical experiences right. which is really interesting to say to to look at something and say this looks like something i'm familiar with and comfortable with because of 
spiritual experience. That's not something I say very often, if at all, ever. Right. Does that make sense? Um, These absolutely. are difficult things to, to talk about. And that's why I want right. to challenge myself and you to talk yeah, about sure. things that are hard to talk about. I mean, it's why so, we often, it's why we go into symbolic languages and say, the, talk about baths and four fires and <laughs> drops of yeah. red and white, you know? Right. So, you know, let me speak to that for just a split second. Please, because you yeah. said something. Um, Take your time. I think uh, one of the things, you know, while, while I do still contend that it's, you know, entirely universal, um, one of the things that I'm grateful for with the knowledge that I've had up to now of Kabbalah is that what his, his work tends to do for me is that it lays out the map where I got lost initially. So like if you come at it and you know, like you start studying his work, you won't ever have gone through a phase of your life where you had read Itzhak Luria's idea of the Tsum Tsum and you know, think about that in a concrete way where you're saying to yourself, this is a thing or an event or a phenomenon that actually happened. David looks at that and turns it on its head and says, maybe it is, but consider it like a metaphor, you know? And when you do things like that with the work that you've already done, like that's, that's what deepens our work, I think, you know? Like you can give me a new idea and that's great, but if you can make me look at what I'm already working with, with new eyes, that's, that's beyond words. That's transcendent, you know? Um, and, and he definitely does that, uh, you know, with, with each of those books. Uh, yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, you know, it's like, which one, of, if I had to pick any one of those three definitions of, you know, advance. I don't, I, I would be lost as which one to pick because they all seem to apply. Um, mm, yes. It's, it's, it's deepened, it's for sure deepened by practice. And I can tell you, here's another thing um, that's going to get lost with words because words only muddy what happens here. But as I was going through uh, my, my work with, uh, with this, something that happened is something that I've been after for a long time. And I was told, you know, like if you practice Vipassana long enough, you'll get it. Or if you practice one point of awareness, you'll get it. Um, I think after having done the routine that he outlined from the 32 keys, and it's a three exercise routine. Um, after having done it for long enough, one of the, the things that happened to me, and again, I don't even know how to verbalize it or that it should be verbalized, but I'm going to try, um, is I think I, oh, see there, there's, there's the cliff. Okay. Rather than saying I understand, or at the moment understood emptiness, I understood emptiness better than I ever had. It's been clarified for me in a way that I can't describe, which, you know, a lot of these other practices, and I'm not saying that they wouldn't do it because maybe if I was, as diligent with them as I was with this, or maybe if I learned them later in life, like I did with this, I might've gone to the same place, but um, this has a way of, of opening emptiness. And that is truly profound, you know, but that's, 
it's it's again you know it's one of those things that's truly beyond words i uh <clears throat> yeah i i think a, a lot of it has to do with for me the uh, well I'll, i'm not sure how to even approach some of this stuff i mean a lot of it has to do with in my experience the the most profound experiences that we have doing doing uh vault work mm, you know okay so it's hard it's hard to really talk about in some ways you can understand my my hesitation on on this stuff sure. because, you know um but but i think also you know it's useful to talk about these things sometimes occasionally occasionally some of us could get together and talk about these things i think a lot of times people especially these days are uh, getting lost in 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 gr their grimoires or uh, mm. or in thinking that the like the golden dawn system especially is just this um, sort of outer order elemental framework that's very lodge magic and initiatory and uh, especially that mentality that thinks it's like some lodge system which is uh, the most ridiculous thing ever to me because it's so it's so profoundly mystical and only has its roots in freemasonry but went so far beyond that so quickly not to mention up to present day um, can i ask you a question about that yeah so it's funny that you're talking about this um you know because this has been on my mind a lot lately and and before i go any further into that let me make another mm. aside real quick yeah. um i think one of the things that that helps um magicians you know like if you're ever looking for results and you're looking for manifested results i think you're looking in the wrong area if you're looking where synchronicity is or where you're called that's this is my opinion that's where i feel the results are they're in the occurrences the coincidences that bear meaning and you just brought that up and that's one of them for me so is there really truly ever a system of magic is you know because you're going to come to a system and you're gonna you know it's 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 like that quote you know and i'm gonna horribly bastardize gandhi here but gandhi says something to the effect of you can never be converted you know and this means one of two things it means either you know you are stuck in your reality tunnel from birth you know and so like the 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 training that you receive and the imprinting that you receive at, at an early age is so um, such a, a molding time that it can't be, you know, the mold can't be broken or B it means, and I don't know the answer, but B the, the other option that I only see in my head because I can't see the others is, you know, you can't be converted because, you know, we are all one thing and you truly don't jive with, you know the thing you know like what you've been raised with until you find the thing that you actually do dive with you know it's like um let me see you know it's like uh, i was and, and I, I've, i'm not sharing anything new here but i was raised catholic and never felt catholic a day in my life um and especially not before my confirmation or anything like that you know it's like at that time i felt less like it because you know 
I had talked to priests who told me Buddhists were going to hell and, you know, there weren't any Catholic priestesses and, you know, uh, I, I can have my whole diatribe about the church and I've, I've dropped all that because I love the, I still love the mass. Um, but, you know, I can't be converted to Catholicism because at birth, you know, it's like that, that argument, are magicians born or are they made, you know? And so going back to my initial question for you is, is there really ever a system? Like there might be a group of training methods and protocols to follow that will lead to particular results. But because Fred RC has been molded the way Fred RC has been molded or Fred or P was molded the way Fred or P was molded, you know, that thing that should be a system, this, this giant machine now turns into a personal appendage, as it were. Does that make sense? And, and if it does, what's your take on that? Yeah. Um, <clears throat> I think I know what you mean. Uh, well, I'm not really sure how to respond to it in the way that you phrased it okay yeah um, um yeah i'm not really sure the approach so so point. do you i guess let me ask you like this has it been your experience that bringing people from neophyte to at least portal that you now have a cookie cutter golden dawn soldier as it were you know um, because I think anybody who makes it to the grade of poor, well, and, and even people who don't, you know, but we're, we're referencing people that we continue to work with. Um, anybody who makes it along the grades is unique from beginning to end, you know? Um, I don't think the system has this effect on people that some people are afraid of, of, oh, if I join the Golden Dawn, I'm going to turn into a Golden Dawn uh, a dawn and I, or something, you know? Um, okay. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Like, you know, I'm a Roman Catholic. I'm, I'm Jewish. I'm a Wiccan. Right. Are you? Yeah. Yeah. I see what you mean. Yeah. No, I think, I think all of that's, I think that idea is uh, very silly. Um, okay. But yeah. you do, I think you do see a lot of people with that mentality that if they do a system or, or, or go through a, a an initiatory school or, a religion join a religion then they become you know made in that image but mm -hmm. that that is always the wrong approach to these paths and if you go down the path long enough you notice that um maybe maybe right. even the martial arts comparison is a good one again there because you know in the in the beginning of of any school of learning it's like quite obvious whether someone's trying to do judo or or Kung Fu or Taekwondo, those things look very different, oh, right. right? You know, in the early stages, especially, but the farther you go down that stage, um, if you were to actually fight one of those people, it would probably just look like a very quick series of movements over very right. Right? <laughs> you'd, yeah, you'd absolutely. Necessarily know if I if I if I decide to take a take a swing at at some master of almost any martial art i'm not sure i would notice what their style was as i hit the ground <laughs> their style like yeah mastery just becomes the style of ass whipping 
yeah their, their effectiveness would more be more more be the result of what did i do and how fast did they put me down and right. that, yeah you know because and and that's that's what i felt about the golden dawn system like once you get to a certain point especially once you're doing the primary uh practices of of the of, of an inner order adept um which is the completion of the system really i mean it's almost a shame that 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 it does have that sort of lodge style setup whereby mm. you you can't just go through the seven grades and then and then sort of be free you're you right. sort of are tied into this it at that point um and and uh either bound or set free by the vows in the group you're in that's an interesting thing that i sort of i still play with that in my mind i think about it from different angles questioning it teasing it out pulling it from different angles and seeing seeing how it works in my just in my head but the main practices i realized that were essential were all the same and and, and that's where it was really easy to talk to david heim smith on a mystical level because right. the essential the essential experiences whether you interact with them through uh when you're when you're inside the physical vault or whether you're just in meditation rising on the planes or whatever it is it's always essentially a rising up to that point of light and that annihilation in the bath and the oneness hmm. no. no like every time i mean the the i'm it's no like the techniques we would use on a full moon healing right like uh I mean, what's, what's higher? Do you, do you have, do you achieve a, a deeper, more profound mystical experience doing some other technique other than <laughs> what we do there? Uh, all I can hear in my head is somebody saying, I'm more at one with the universe than you are. Yeah, what? yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> the hell does that even mean? And now, a word from our sponsors. While we cannot control whether any ads get put in the spots allocated, we thank you for listening to those that do since they help keep this project alive. You can also get ad-free content and bonus content and videos and a private webpage by subscribing exclusively to magicwithoutfears.com for only a couple dollars a week or $6 a month or 50 for the year. It helps a lot, plus you get emails about other exclusive things. Thank you very much. Yeah, I my point of light was more absorbing than your point of light. Um, I mean, he 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 explains that stuff really well. Um, and what's what's I think very interesting. What's what when you get to really advanced uh, techniques within mysticism is is the struggle to differentiate some of those transcendental states. That's mm -hmm. where, where the real struggle can be, especially if you're going along just in those practices whatever version of them you're doing uh whether it's pure kabbalah or gd or buddhism or saying the rosary in in church and it doesn't matter it's like if you're yeah bathing in that that light and or i guess that fire however you want to experience it and there are nuances and, and gradations within those experiences it can be very tricky to, to describe and uh the sticking points even can be just tricky to describe and almost impossible to talk about with others who haven't actually experienced those points which is where the the 
challenge of the language comes in and you see him really take that on in in a very responsible way in just his use of words and they're well, not, you, not the same use of language that you encounter in the rest of life at all right and you know that's one of the things because when it comes to those classifications or those um descriptions you know i get a bit unorthodox with consciousness in the sense like unorthodox from regular mainstream um spiritual sources you know like um for me one of the things that i love about smith is the same thing that i love about john c Lilly, and um that is that you know they're both astounding map makers you know um like when you listen to lily talk about you know uh, T100 or, and, and mind you, I'm just, uh, I, he wouldn't use that phrase, but he's got weird um, descriptions for each kind of consciousness. And it's astounding because it's like, you know exactly with, with that, whether or not you've been to T100 or T101, you know, and it's like, that's what a map maker is awesome for, you know, it's like, okay, I'm, I should be able to tell myself I'm right here. Now, what gets funny in David's case is, you know, as you're going through your practices with the 32 keys, and I shouldn't say you, I'm going to say me, my experience has solely been, you know, okay, I'm here. And now I realize that there is no fucking place known as here. There is no here, you know, like it doesn't exist. And it's like, wait a second, what? So it's like he makes this glorious map, you know, this beautiful map of the whole of consciousness and at the same time you know he's lighting a, a a match to the end of it you know so it's burning as you're running towards the center as it were you know um i don't know if that makes any sense or not uh to me it does uh okay. yeah <clears throat> but again we've had you and i though we've uh never actually met we missed each other by a year i believe yeah, yeah that's what's so fascinating to talk to you because we literally have are two people who have gone to more or less virtually the same point in mm -hmm. the same system in different uh decades of that same order as it branched out grew developed wilted changed transformed died was reborn all of these things that happen in the human societies aspect of of <laughs> of a magical school right the changes and transfigurations which is great <clears throat> but i have a very good sense of what experiences you've had so when you talk about them i can find my place on the map relatively easy mm -hmm. and that's that's the gift of being within a tradition it's why right. i think there's such a, a prescription uh, against not changing that tradition too much and why it's so difficult for us to then work with people who do like you know if i'm uh, me and uh me and uh what, what's what how do people know him uh, eric v cisco mm, we've, mm -hmm. we've talked about this uh several times um in the past uh over the years decades but if if someone comes to you are describing path working and then they're describing some version of a tarot card and you're like wait a second what what is it you're seeing in the in the moon they're like oh the 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 demon that's in the water and it's it's suck pulling you down it's like there's no demon in the moon card and like well there is in mine it's like okay well you're literally not using the same map as me and you've inserted right. this threat 
like here be dragons onto your map <laughs> that I don't have on mine. So maybe you wouldn't encounter that dragon if you just took an eraser out and, <laughs> you know, removed it from your map because you're, you're literally causing yourself to invoke something here into your sphere at a certain point in the journey that the rest of us aren't. Um, right. Or, or rather than taking that eraser, you know, the other approach is, and I know I've heard you do this with people before, you know, is you could say to them, tell me more about that dragon or that demon. Because now, now we've got an anchor into the, and, and you're going to have to excuse the language because yeah. I mean, everything means everything else at some point. But, yeah. you know, now we have an anchor in the imaginal realms for something that you see as a klepa, you know. And so let's define the hell out of that and figure out how that actually manifests in your waking consciousness. Because, you know, I'm, I'm not one of those people anymore who, you know, wants to manifest a million dollars through my magic. I used to be one of those people and I understand the nature of it. I get where people are coming from. Um, and it, but it's still a useful paradigm. I mean, you know, it is practical in that sense. It can be psychological and, and with good resolve, right? And good result rather. Um, so if you tell me about this demon or this dragon that you're seeing in the moon card, I can, you and I both, and I mean you personally, you know, like we could talk to this person and say, ah, okay, so this is our shared language of the tarot. This is the map that it's applied to. You're seeing this thing you know, in between Netzach and Malkuth, what does that mean to your psyche? You know, why the hell is that going on? Let's confront it together. Yes. Yeah, we can address the, the experience the person's having, whatever, whatever comes up in, like, say, on that path, in that path working. Um, and that's fine. It's very easy to address whatever comes up with someone uh, wherever they're at, whatever they imagine or face. The, 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 only, the only problem is when they try and then discuss it in the context of say, the card, right? Like, it, oh, sure. because yeah. there's, because you're, you're even, you've superimposed something onto it that's not normally there. So you, you've changed the symbolic language and you can, yeah, you can still deal with it personally in terms of what that person's going through, but it's, yeah, it's, it's, a, it's, a it's changing the map. <clears throat> so, right. Yeah. And, and I, you know, if I said, well, what's the significance of this with the moon card, then the, then the theory sort of doesn't help you because you've again, changed the map and it's just not mm. there on the map. It's not on the card. Um, right. And that's, that's where path working is a very personal thing. So yeah. Um, different, definitely a different between, a difference between the sensation and the interpretation. So any sensation come up can come up in a path working and you can interpret it. But the diff the challenge with with adding a symbolism that isn't there and personalizing the system means it's hard to meet that person halfway on the map. You're not on the map. You're just meeting the person in in the void sort of in the in their person realm of their personal experience yeah I, i'm sure this has been discussed probably someone somewhere by other people wiser than us or, or something uh, how can they how can you describe the difference between 
yeah, your subjective interpretation of, of experiences and sensations uh, drawn from, say, a path working or a scrying versus how can you use those experiences and interpretations to understand the roadmap? Well, if you've inserted new images onto the roadmap that aren't part of that basic map, then you're going to come up with something very different than if we're all working from the same, the same, uh, yeah, map. Absolutely. So yeah, there, sure. there's the there's the struggle with uh, with changing the tradition so it's not the tradition, and then expecting to be able to communicate clearly and effectively with other people about it. That's that's where the problems arrive, and that's where I think Kabbalah has been incredibly useful over the ages at helping. Uh, of uh, oral tradition survive of mystical experience and practice right i mean that's that's something i think that was one of the reasons why uh kabbalah has survived and why it's it's such a favored roadmap and yeah. so useful it's why it's 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 so helpful in augmenting other magical traditions like i mean i know i know uh, jake strang kent has said recently uh, or maybe for a long time about how the Kabbalah has no place in the grimoire traditions and isn't in the grimoires really that much and so a bunch of people asked me what I thought about that I'm like well that's sort of obvious <laughs> like <laughs> I'm not sure what yeah. sort of reaction you're expecting me to have like outrage or shock but I yeah. mean it is sort of that's sort of obvious I don't think he's saying anything dramatic there I mean you can look at the grimoires and you're not going to find much Kabbalistic language when they describe how to work with spirits and do different spells. Right. So, so these systems that have superimposed a lot of Kabbalah, well, that's exactly what they've done. They, they've done just that. They've superimposed it because it has a certain use. And, if, and you shouldn't take that use to be more than it is. Right, like yeah. a walking stick, you know, up the up the path, um, and uh, yeah, you know, you brought it, you brought it to the path. You're using it to walk along. You don't. It's not necessarily endemic to it, and a part of it. I mean, you might not have even found it there. You might have picked it up at home. You might have bought it at a store. These days, you probably ordered that staff on Amazon or from some hand carver, carving magician, and. Uh, you're like this is useful and kabbalah is very very useful and that's why it's been part of the syncretism of the western mystery traditions but is it uh is it a nascent part of every aspect of those traditions and the grimoires and all of that stuff well certainly not what right. what is important and what what i think's you most useful about is is like it's been around for so long i mean like kabbalah doesn't come inherently out of Israel, it comes out of the tradition of, of mystical Judaism that Israel has carried forward, but those traditions predate their culture, just like their culture predates their culture. And this is something I've said before about people who are railing on about cultural appropriation in, in especially <laughs> magical fields. It's like, I'm not sure if I could say it any clearer than like, the, I mean, the, the cultural appropriation, another word for it is culture. I mean, <laughs> yeah. you want to know what culture is? It's appropriation of other cultures. Yeah. And that's how we get new cultures. Right? There, there used to be another word that I liked 
for cultural appropriation. That was called syncretism, you know? Yeah. 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 The, uh, so, so, so the Israel, Israeli or is Jewish Hebrew, Hebrew mm -hmm. mystics and initiates, they were learning in the mystical traditions of Egypt and, uh, you know, Assyria and the Akkadian schools and initiatory traditions. We know that right. when that's where they got the tree of life from, almost guaranteed, mm. was from Akkadia, the Akkadians, and, and the whole tree of life there with the, you know, the creation myth around the Anunnaki and, and the leaves of the tree. And, and uh, that's, uh, so, it, so the, the, the monotheism of, of Judaism was something that they, they appropriated that they added into their appropriation of a pagan system hmm. you know so anyone yeah. accusing uh western magicians of adding or or wiccans heaven forbid or druids <laughs> of paganizing their jewish culture and mysticism is bonkers because they already <laughs> they are it's already a stolen tradition or an adopted in a tradition they were initiated into and they're like hey uh, this is going to become monotheistic now over over uh, thousands of years, and after, especially after we uh, got rid of that inconvenient goddess character who was popular uh, <laughs> for a while, but then we needed to like, you know, give her a little time out there so we could, you know, rock the monotheistic uh, patriarchalism for a, a couple centuries or millennia. And that's no joke. Like that, that's something that actually really, I mean, that very much did happen. I mean, you know, Judaism went through many phases, um, including discovering miraculous new books of the Bible, like Deuteronomy. And they're like, oh, look, all these laws have been around for forever. And we just found them. They were buried under the temple. It's like, really? That looks like your handwriting. <laughs> well, you know, but that's, that's one of the great things I think about Okay, I, there's a couple of things I want to unpack there. For Good. one, let me say something inflammatory. We're in the um, weeds now, brother. <laughs> um, I think people who decry cultural appropriation when it comes to magic are people who aren't practicing their magic. Um, and they're looking for reasons to, you know, say that they're, you know, that your magic is bullshit because you're getting the results you want. That's one thing. Two, um, as far as, you know, like what we're talking about, as far as Judaism, you know, um, I was just listening to, are you familiar with Aeon Byte uh, podcast? Yeah, I've heard of it. Yeah, I've checked okay. it out, I'm sure, here or there. So uh, Miguel had a, a guest on there, and I forget this guy's name for the life of me. He runs uh, a YouTube channel called Esoterica. Uh, yeah, Dr. Dr. Sledge, Justin. That's the one. Thank you. Yeah, he's great. Yeah. He's, he's, yeah. yeah. And he was talking about exactly what you just said right now. Like, in fact, you know, for the longest time that there wasn't one proto-Judaism, there were several proto-Judaisms and that even now, you know, like what, what is awesome to me about that exoteric religion as compared to say the other two um, being Christianity and Islam is that there are still um, new living gospels. Like you said, you know, and you were saying a little tongue in cheek with uh, that looks like your handwriting. The, the, the funny part is though, 
is that it's accepted. They, they still bring in new liturgical um, information. Like it's still being informed by the current culture. Whereas, you know, like the, the way I was raised was, you know, from stories that were from 2000 years ago with no updates. You know, I, I want the DLC, damn it. You know, that we have to have improved something on, if nothing else, how to convey the information, you know? Um, so those, those are a couple of things that I found interesting there. The other thing is too, is that, you know, well, this one's been beat to death with a, a whip, but you know, it's the, the, that idea that you were talking about with the, um, the divine feminine, you know, like taking a, a back seat to the patriarchy and you and I both know, I'm, I'm lumping you in with me. So if I'm, I'm wrong or if I'm um, doing that incorrectly, you just tell me. But I believe we both know that no religion works where there's only one, and, and I don't even mean gender in the common sense, but you know, like I'll just say it doesn't work if there's just one gender, just not have them, you know? Like that, the, the system, as we, you know, going back to what we were talking about earlier, neither the system nor the machine functions if it's just functioning on that. Sure. Um, I mean, yeah, I mean, <clears throat> I know that's an the obvious one, thing, the one but becomes, I, I wanted to the say the one it. becomes two, and then the two becomes one, and there's this constant flow and this dance, um, for sure. I mean, that's, uh, yeah, I'm trying to tie that back into the the other angle of uh, understanding transmission and development and appropriation. Um, yeah, so so going back to what you said about Judaism's, um, and uh, I mean it is fascinating. It's very interesting how Kabbalah has um, very much been a way for uh, Jewish faith to continue to have some sense of continuity as it developed along uh with new mystical texts being written <clears throat> all the way up into the renaissance and 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 to present day really i mean what you're getting with uh with david heimsmith is is a living oral tradition passed on through hasidim and and other kabbalistic teachers and, and rabbis um and what you're seeing in the mainstream world is is what Justin Sledge would tell you is is just the still living progression of of the Jewish faith through different branches because there's there's so many different branches just like there is in most religions. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Completely agree. So, I mean, uh, Justin Sledge, uh, and and what I would say about most of this stuff is we will always sound very similar to people. Because we, uh, I mean, we come from the same, the same tradition of, of thinkers and, and teachers, which is uh, the academic school and studies of esotericism. Um, but there's really, which is, which is, you know, there's not actually a lot of variance there because there's quite a bit of uniformity in our understanding of, of history because it's, it's mm. history and <laughs> these things have developed in certain ways. Um, and that's why I, I'm very glad he's out there doing his esoterica channel, I, I believe yeah. it is. 
Um, and so that's really great because he adds a, a, an angle and a depth that uh, you don't see in a lot of the other, even the, the PhDs and, and stuff out there, a lot of whom uh, have a background in history, like Cottrell or, or classics like Skinner, um, mm -hmm. where Ledge's background is, is, is more in theology and philosophy, which is, which is where I come from. So that's really nice because you need those people to have those perspectives. You can really tell, like I can really tell when I hear someone coming from the history department or the classics department talking, <laughs> I can really yeah. hear certain things and like, you know, and occasionally I'll even hear something where I'd like, I wish I could jump in and be like, okay, well, I can, I could flush <laughs> that out. Um, and we all need that in academia from each other, which is why interdisciplinary approaches are, are becoming more popular again, finally, after hundreds of years, thank God, because yeah i mean we need that in the sciences as well now more than ever and people are starting to realize that there needs to be more communication across departments if we want to figure out this whole uh you know reality thing that we're <laughs> struggling to deal with these right, days right. Seems, you know um how great would it be if like uh if there could be uh more freedom for us to communicate and, and ask questions of each other and um i've got two questions for you um, of avenues I wanted to pursue when we have a, a time, because I'm not trying to get away from the subject that we're talking no, about. No, it's fine. We're, we're, but, we're just talking. Yeah, but I just, I want to put this, you know, in, in the seed in the back of your mind right now. And that is one, you and I, at the end of our last conversation, we were talking about um, holy guardian angels and higher genii. And we were also um, talking about, oh, I wanted to hear your take because, again, I heard you bring it up with, with Smith, and that is, um, so I don't, and I don't identify as a Platonist, okay? I, I like Platonism and Neoplatonism. Um, I like the thinking that gets involved in the dialectic, okay? Uh, I think that the Parmenides is a treasure trove of self-illumination, and I can, you know, we can walk through that path if we want to, but I want to hear what your gripe is with the, uh, the trend, I guess, towards Neoplatonism these days. Yeah. You know, it, it came up again just the other day as I uh, was finally um, trying to read uh, Aaron Leach's uh, Secrets of the Magical Grimoires. Um, okay. Probably like a fool, I started at the beginning, which I don't know. Um, I, I do spiritual direction, right? Um, mm -hmm. And uh, the book is actually being read by a fellow um, in line for holy orders uh, oh, okay. and going to seminary. Well, I st I, yeah, apparently, apparently I still work with actual people who are going to become actual priests. Apparently that's still a thing. I'm not sure how that, how that is the case, <laughs> but it is the case. Um, I mean, I mean, I hope more people become priests who uh, are interested in magic and more people who are interested in, well, yeah, yeah, I, I think that's a, I think that's a fine way for things to go. I mean, religions aren't going to vanish anytime soon, um, whether they should or not. I, 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 I go back and flow forth on these things. Oh, um, yeah. You know, like, can we just get rid of them all? But then, then as soon as they were gone, the first thing I would have to do is start a religion because <laughs> yeah. if there was no religions i'd be like i think i need a vehicle to uh codify and express 
my spiritual experiences in a way that I can communicate them to others and that they can preserve them with their knowledge and then pass them on to others. I'm like, oh, damn, that's a religion. (laughs) So, so we couldn't just, if we just wipe them out, that would be a problem. Um, I don't think it would necessarily be a moral problem for society. That's where the confusion happens, but it, it could become a, just a cultural problem. Culturally, religions have been very, uh, helpful in some ways as much as they've been harmful perhaps um yeah where was i going with that uh platonism and platonism yeah aaron leach brought it up uh in so probably probably the only probably the whole book is is great um and i like i like aaron um we can get more into some of some of his uh the areas where he's uh contentious these days because i think he makes <laughs> some great points in the in the debates that are going on out there um some and some of those points are are strong some of them are challenging um he likes being challenging though and i, I like that about him i like that he's a little yeah. shit, a shit disturber like a bunch of others <laughs> i think i think it's 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 fun we need we need a little conflict and dialogue otherwise everyone just gets you know placid and dogmatic but and placid and dogmatic yeah yeah placid yeah well that's yeah that's they really do go hand in hand <laughs> so um he, he in his history which uh, it's it's a part of the book he covers he a lot of occultists do this thing where they sort of give you a rundown on on how how the history really was mm, leading okay. up to what they want to talk about you know <laughs> i mean we've all done it i've i've, sure. I've given so many little reviews um at, at lectures over the years where it's like well here's a here's a little view of of history up to present and these traditions and how they come to us i i've i've refrained from writing them down because i'm not sure how helpful that would actually be um more i think it'd be more helpful if if occultists uh, identified uh, problematic areas or 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 areas of challenge or contention within history when they're doing their reviews, rather than try and say, like this was this was the problem and this was the solution, um, because those things are usually too complicated to handle in a synopsis of history, let alone in an occultist synopsis of history, which probably comes from a general reading of a few sources and then a couple some extractions of one or two primary sources. And then, uh, and it's like, well, if, if your if your reading is limited on that, then you're gonna get it dead wrong, as much right. as you're just trying to convey something like, say, the as he does the filioque controversy and the split between the Eastern Orthodoxies and the Roman Catholic Church. On surface, it would almost be better to be less detailed about that than he is in it. And this is going to tie in to the Aristotle Plato thing. You'll see quite perfectly. Okay. I know what I'm doing here. <laughs> for, for Hold t- my beer. Um, <laughs> and uh, so, like he, but he he gets into just enough of the issue mm. that it's really like with the filioque controversy, like whether or not the Holy Spirit descends from the Father. Mm-hmm through the sun or whether or whether it takes a little detour around the sun and then blasts us all right divine presence um 
And because he gets in, he gets into just enough of the issues that it's wrong. Whereas if if he had just held back a bit more and like just sort of been a bit more general about the filioque issue, he would have he would have nailed he could have nailed it. It's like you know it's like yeah just like there's saying there's paint on this wall correct there is like there is you know blue on the, blue paint on this wall it's like well i think it's turquoise like well is it turquoise okay so there there's a problem right trying to define it um it's too too complicated an issue too complex a color with too many textures and patterns to be to be gone over very to to gloss over it very quickly can i pause you real quick yeah is now is what you're saying then an issue of say semantics and semiotics or is it an issue of history because i could see history. okay okay yeah, these, so you yeah. feel that there is an actual uh correct telling of the filioque situation and you feel that he's not saying it correctly yeah um, okay. Abs yeah. Okay. I mean, I I don't want to I don't want to sound too critical here because the problem no, no, no. I, I, isn't yeah. with uh, isn't with the problem isn't necessarily with any of the sources or the mm -hmm. information itself. The problem is like uh, though though and one of, though of course there is a technical problem there in, in which in in which is that it is a an overview and therefore citation of sources isn't really needed technically, but also therefore without those citation of sources you don't have the benefits of seeing what the perspective is because these are very tricky issues that are still in many ways debated and we're we're debated over history like like you know if you really want to talk about the filioque controversy you really have to start with the history of interpretation of the filioque controversy mm, okay. um until you have that view of the history of interpretation of it, you can't really say how it was. You really need to look at all the different views on how it was before you're going to get an accurate understanding of how it played out in history, especially at the time when those councils, like, like for example, by, by going, by approaching it briefly the way he does. And this is the, this is not an issue with his, his, his uh, cursory examination of, of the history you find this in pretty much anyone trying anyone trying to give someone a quick idea of something um there's just there's just too much to say about it, it and so in that attempt of of being brief it's often that we find ourselves in the, in the realm of inaccuracy whereas if you okay. if you were even even a bit more brief or uh, you'd be more accurate, which is interesting. It's one of the few times and it's a, it's one of those situations in which you, you'd be more accurate by saying less than than trying to say say more. And, and that that happens a lot with with highly technical issues. And it's something that that, that really relates to the Plato and Aristotle thing, um, okay. as well as the transmission of, of religious practices and the development of religions themselves. Is the problem that happens when you try and tell someone what Gnosticism is? It doesn't really work. Um, anytime someone tells you what what Gnosis is or what Gnosticism is, the second they almost frame it that way, they're wrong, mm. right? It's it, yeah. whereas I could say within within Gnosticisms, and instantly I'm probably going to be right about whatever I say. 
right? right because right. I'm acknowledging the primary thing I'm acknowledging to you is the multifariousness of the issue and and the plurality of it and then then I just need to sort of be accurate within that plurality but as soon as I try and say this is this is what the thing was and it, it probably wasn't just one thing then I then I I'm stepping into potholes and see and that's why I rely only on, on that's why I only rely on Wittgenstein and Irenaeus I mean you got those two and you're good <laughs> well <laughs> it's funny that you bring up Wittgenstein because he famously I mean he he famously uh changed course like i mean he fa his final work uh in many ways is 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 a complete denial of the tractatus logos philosophicus of his mm, yeah um and so there isn't so when you talk about wittgenstein you almost always have to talk about early or late wittgenstein um and so there you go you need the nuance right away um and and this way of thinking is i think what's important for people to understand it's a it's a way of thinking that you you don't encounter so much outside of the academic sphere where you, mm -hmm. you need to be aware of plurality um i'm i'm also shockingly aware of the fact that the, the word plurality is such a popular term now it's people are probably a lot of people are probably really excited to hear it used so much and and that's a good thing because it is one of those good things that comes from the the scholarly mentality of understanding the the many ways things need to be considered to to get a sense of the of the terrain again we're back to the terrain and so uh you know when you're looking at things like the development of the early church and and you know what uh, the the heresies which i mean one of the problems like in 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 that introduction and and i'm gonna i'm, gonna, I'm just gonna use leech here because i just read it um and it's not i'm not picking on on his work because again it's just uh it's just a it's just a few pages where he tries to rush over all of human history um like like every author often tries to do and we, we all sort of do when we're young uh it's uh i mean glossing just just the church councils. Um, I mean, Nicaea, like, like any time an author tries to address Nicaea in a sentence or paragraph, I mean, God help them. God help them. <laughs> yeah. I mean, the, the amount, I can't even tell you how many books I've read about the Council of Nicaea and how many dozens and dozens of seminars I've attended just on single issues within Nicaea. Like, or why was how this many times Diocletian used the bathroom that day? Yeah, like so, like how many? There's so you, you, you there's entire colloquiums that are happen around discussing why a certain uh, belief was was declared heretical at at Nicaea or Chalcedon or one of these councils, and and what then then you want to look at what was going on around it. Of course, you want to look at what was that bishop and his followers where were they based what was going on politically with them and why did they why did the church want to uh, declare them heretics and kick them out and like i remember i i i heard a, a very long many hours of lecture from a, a teacher just uh, in grad school just on on one of those beliefs just on and 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 how a certain you know theology was cut out for for you know political power uh and yeah. 
Nicaea was used to accomplish that. They did that with a lot of people. And they did that in front too. Yeah, they, they, all the time. This is, this is what was going on. So reducing any of those things to single theological issues is you're, you're just almost always going to be wrong is the problem, right? They're just, they're just too complicated. And, and, we, and this is what people should need and really are going to get, get you know, blah, 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 <laughs> are going to have value in understanding. I mean, don't, don't let these, the complexity of life uh, deter you from trying to understand things like history or philosophy or theology or any of this stuff that we love, but, but let it help you realize the, make you more open to, to nuance. <laughs> like that's what we need today right. more than ever is awareness of nuance because we live in a, it, not only do we, are we facing in the magical world with this sort of rise of uh, uh, magical and systematic Puritanism and grimoire Puritanism sort of rising up and, and anti-cultural appropriation and debates between traditional witchcraft and the true witches and the Wiccans and the, you know, the, the amalgams of the nineties, new age and all of these things like, it's there's this definite trend towards uh, coming back to a singular sort of unity of what is the pure, the pure thing, the Prisca Theologia, or like you know pure PGM magic or pure pure thaumaturgy without not distorted by by mysticism or spiritual development, which is the debate of course between Skinner and, and Aaron Leach, right? You know magic has nothing to do with spirituality or mystical development whatsoever and is distorted by any inclusion of it and Aaron Leach would disagree and say well that's actually what he that's what he thinks is missing in in Skinner's approach and that's that's so that they characterize actually quite well in in almost uh in almost a church father sort of way these two two views on that which I I don't think there's much uh, conflict actually in those views i don't i think you can i think you can do magic and uh without any spirituality um it seems to work fine for people who who don't um have a, a mystical approach to it or don't uh pursue theurgy or theosis or any of the personal transformative aspects of magic or initiation and just want to get things for themselves, make their life yeah. better. And that seems yeah. to work. So, right. amen. Right. But there, uh, there is, it's very interesting to me, the, the, this trend towards, uh, you know, working wonders as opposed to becoming the wonder, right. which is, is very much the mystical aspiration and the theurgical project of self-transformation and divinization and that's something that i am very intrigued by is is this new rejection of magic as a tool for spiritual development and seeing it as more a technical discipline to be mastered and become proficient at to the point where you can say i'm better at magic than you or my magic (laughs) works and yours doesn't which is a natural progression of that mentality. Yeah, yeah. Um, You know, man, I don't even know where to start with that. Um, Can you tell I've been thinking? uh, Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. The things you have time uh, to do when you're not on Facebook. 
<laughs> that that 40th birthday hit hard, huh? Well, it's just it's just no holds barred now, baby. Right, right. See, now that's a, a thing that, that I can uh, uh, glom onto, and that is you were saying how um, you know you like how. And, and I might be using the wrong word here, but how confrontational you find Aaron to be now. And I think that that is one of the things that I, I can definitely agree with the notion that that's what makes for interesting conversation. And as I get older, because like you, you know, a uh, few weeks back, I had my 40th, I'm starting to draw lines in the sand on certain subjects, you know, and before it was, it wasn't because of being, you know, like uh, milk toast or anything. It was, I just didn't know. So if you told me something and then somebody else five minutes later tells me a different thing, it's like, oh, well, maybe you're both right. You know, now it's like, I need to figure this shit out for myself, you know, and may, maybe both of you are wrong. Maybe both of you are still right, you know, um, and maybe there's a third, you know. Um, well, there's no danger so being confident about your perspective from right. every rung on the ladder. To me, the only danger is when you think that the rung on the ladder and the perspective you have from that rung is the final rung. Right. When someone says, well, Absolutely. there's, there's one higher, like, you know, your perspective might change when you discover the next rung on the ladder. And if the person says, no, that's insane. You're wrong that's the only time there's a problem. Right, right. And I don't know why anyone would ever want to have that perspective, but it's very trendy. It's very popular to, to say that. I well, mean, there's one reason why people want to have that perspective. They, will, they want to be your guru. They want you to start paying for their livelihood. Well, it's, through, it's not, you know. Yeah, I mean, well, it's, it's not, that's, it, this is where actually we're, we're inching our way to Plato and Aristotle. I love it because it's not about just the magical, that it's a m way of thinking that doesn't is is clearly not restricted to any kind of magical worldview or the or within magic i mean this is something that kind of uh ideological totalitarianism which is what it is to say this is my rung this is my perspective and there's none higher is all of human life i mean that's what we're dealing with in in societies right now right being told by uh, every country is being told in every state or province and everywhere you live, you have people in charge saying, this is where we're at and this is our perspective and you have to live with it because we're in charge. Right. So, you know, we have these gurus in spirituality and we have these political leaders and, or, and lawmakers and rulers in the material world. And there is no difference between the two. <laughs> so, right, you right. Know, like you just elected your new guru your last <laughs> one sort of sucked i don't think this one's much better um, no offense to any of them <laughs> i don't know i just put my canadian foot in it but i'm like <laughs> i'm sorry i just i haven't I haven't seen a political leader in a very long time who i thought had any uh admirable qualities but that could just be my idealism <clears throat> well i mean you know like i look at it um it's it's sort of the the saddest thing to me is you know the the man in the high castle syndrome you know we're talking philip k dick right hmm. uh don't know if you've read it or 
if you watch the Amazon Prime series that they have, it has opened my eyes to a brand new kind of compassion that I never had before. And that is in the sense that, you know, right now in the US, you could hear two completely different narratives about the same damn thing. And I'm not even talking about fake news here. I mean, like both could be telling it accurately as they understand the facts, right? And it's a completely separate reality, oh, you know? Yeah. And, you know, how do you bridge that gap? Like, you know, there's, and I know that that's a thing that's been on people's head for a long time. You know, it's like, well, how do you talk to somebody if they don't want to listen? I'm not even, I'm not even addressing that. I'm saying. No, you're not. You know, you're addressing like, dual reality, the, the coexistence right. of dual realities at the same time. Right, which has made my life fucking fascinating because I'm sitting here and, you know, and, and granted, like the Emerald Tablet tells us, you know, I am that thing that is in the middle of the above and the below. I'm right at the center there. So I'm hearing this perspective and that perspective. And, you know, it's like, holy shit, I could, I could look at it your way and see exactly what you're talking about. And I could look at it your way and see exactly what you're talking about, you know, and still not hold either view. You know, and it's just it's it's astounding, you know, that that a thing like that can happen. You know, it's also absolutely astounding that, that Philip K. Dick could write a book to describe that. You know? <laughs> but, that but I digress. Well, it's it's a classic problem, actually, because it, it lands us firmly with the the issue and the problem now of between Plato and Aristotle. This mm. is exactly okay. the problem with Plato and Aristotle. And it's and it's. It's why the uh, aggrandizing of either of their philosophies to a total worldview is the real problem. As mm, soon as you okay. take their worldviews, their philosophies, and turn it into a worldview, which is what Neoplatonism did, mm -hmm. right? It turned, turned uh, Plato's basic ideas and then the later pseudo-Plato and, and, and uh, you know, the other Platonic writers into a cosmology but it was really an inter it's, it's just an interpretation of a cosmology of a of a schemata that they could work with but the more you you do that the more it turns into an ideology and so like for example and then you get a characterization like uh in in leach's survey of history in in, in his grimoire's book he very he has very little time to go over what happened with Aristotle and Plato. And so the way he chooses to approach that is to be like, well, look, we had Aristotle and the, everyone was, everyone in Christianity was going with Aristotle. And then the Neoplatonism came back with a vengeance and everyone got into Neoplatonism and that became like the more enlightened view. And that's how he sort of quickly frames it. And, okay. and is that accurate? That's definitely accurate from a perspective. Is it right? Yeah. No, it's incredibly wrong. Because what it ignores is the fact that Aristotle was still actually new to them. Okay. Aristotle had been lost, right? Like, and right. it was only recently discovered in the Middle Ages. And Christianity got very excited when Aristotle was rediscovered. Um, I mean, the books, the texts were lost. We only knew of him from other people, but we didn't have him. And then we got him again and so uh thomas aquinas went nuts and wrote a lot 
<laughs> he's like, oh, he's like, this is great. I, lightly. He's like, I know what to do with this guy. And he oh. used Aristotle to basically rewrite Christianity. He came up with a lot of things, including the first argument for priestly celibacy. The first theological argument for priestly celibacy came out of Thomas Aquinas reading Aristotle and saying, I, I can use this. I know how to approach this. And, and, and Christianity was still really adapting to Aristotelian logic and philosophy as it was interpreted by Thomas Aquinas when Neoplatonism became on vogue again a couple hundred years mm. later. But the, uh, that, that sort of that version of, of the development of these two forms of thought as distinct periods or one succeeding the other or surpassing the other or, or bringing in a more healthy uh, paganism or, or pantheistic view of the cosmos, which is Leach's contention, that's not accurate. Um, that 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 Neoplatonism came back and brought in this older, more enlightened current of of thinking with, that was embedded within earlier paganisms. That's not really true because Aristotle has plenty of that in in, in him, right. and those two are much more uh, dance partners than they are fixed systems that either are accurate or false. And, and that's how philosophers have always had to contend with major systems of thought um, as, sure. as, as methodological structures for tackling certain issues. And that's what philosophy always needs to be for us. And the, the, the variances between uh, Platonism and Aristotelianism I mean, they still haven't resolved themselves and they're not going to ever resolve themselves. And what, what people have to do is they have to come up with different understandings of them for their time and place so that we can extract our own, you know, worldview and interpretation of the world at the time we're at to deal with uh, the problems we're facing, which are usually, you know, political, ethical, moral issues issues of meaning, issues of, of ontology, uh, issues of, you know, what's it mean to be human? These are things we struggle with, or what is it to be right? What is it to be wrong? These are, these are things that we struggle deeply with in the 20th century in philosophy. And that gave birth to things like structuralism and post-structuralism. And very famously and very highly contended, debated these days, uh, things like deconstruction, which are, 99% completely misunderstood by the general public um, still because Myself included. It, it's going to take another, it's another, given another 30, 40 years and to catch up for, you know, to the academic understanding. Cause, you know, Cause these were things that were dealt with in the sixties, but they're slowly, they filter down very slowly. So first they filter right. in their pop forms. And once the pop forms subside, then people will give them a closer look and we'll get there. I, you know, in, in college, I was, uh, one of my professors who, you know, was a principal in hermeneutics, you know, had me reading Derrida and in the class was making fun of him because he's like, you know, open, open the book to any page and read any one sentence and tell me what it means, any, you know, and, and I still, I, I, I can't do it, you know, like he might need, uh, like you said, a, a more, I'm sure there's a reason that he was as popular and as well loved as he was, but I, I can't understand it. Yeah. But I well, have a question, another question for you mm -hmm. before we go over there. And then I'll explain Derrida to you in a nutshell. Awesome. Um, 
do you think that there's the same, you know, gross oversimplification notwithstanding, is there the same kind of relationship between Aquinas and Augustine as there is to Plato and Aristotle? Oh, that's it. That's an interesting question, actually, that um, I wish you had asked me that 15 years ago when I was <laughs> closer to my seminary days, because that was something that that we learn a lot about. Um, they're different. They're very they're they're very different yeah. animals. Um, yeah. Yeah, I'm, I'm too far afield from it to get, get to give you any accurate nuances. Um, okay. But yeah, Augustine, they're both they're both interesting because, well, Augustine is a lot more in some ways a lot. <laughs> it's like in some ways the more open minded in some ways more closed minded, right? Or mm-hmm. it's more dogmatic and in some ways more inclusive. I mean, they, they're they're also when you really look at their their developments of thought they're very they're very human and that's what people i think need to remember is is that their that their ideas happen on a continuum of life and experience and augustine yeah again i can't i it's i it would be irresponsible for me to try and give you a quick review of that um it's just been too long but okay. yeah, it's easier to uh, to look at the the overall philosophical conflicts between, say, Aristotle and Plato, which is, you know, the the ideal versus the particular, right? Um, mm-hmm. I mean, that's what Derrida really had a problem with was the trend within Platonism to to focus on the ideal nominalistic or essentialist structure of reality and the idea of 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 these ideal forms having almost a supernatural reality that we are just participants in right and 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 we saw in the 20th century how these sort of notions of that kind of those kinds of realities uh developed through the 19th century and uh spiritual thinkers like Blavatsky and and leading into uh, you know Alice A Bailey and and their their racial theories of the history of the universe being grounded in these root races, right? It seemed it all seemed really like fascinating occult fun and games until you suddenly had the Third Reich and like surprise this is the baby that you've just given birth to and there's one race and therefore the rest need to get exterminated. It's like oh. I don't think that's what they were actually planning on having happen <laughs> when they were channeling alleged Indian gurus, whether embodied or discarnate entities. I don't think Blavatsky saw herself as, as, as laying the groundwork for fascism. Yeah. <laughs> but that's what was happening. And, and for people like Derrida, who is very... Kabbalistic actually he's very one of the reasons I think a lot of people don't like Derrida is because he's just he's too Jewish um, for a lot of people I think you know and 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 the the Kabbalah like same as like people don't like to talk about Nietzsche's mysticism they don't like to talk about this oh I'm I'm all ears and elbow yeah well it's just it's not convenient to our categorization of what we want Nietzsche to be and okay and just you know to to see him as as this as this guy who just came down with a hammer and said you know 
God is dead. And then Trent Reznor is like, no one cares. <laughs> and the rest of us are screaming, if there's a hell, I'll see you there. It's like, okay, it's very easy to make those categorizations, but that's not the, the summation of their work. And also, as soon as you like, for example, take, especially with Nietzsche, like the, the God is dead thing, as soon as you take it outside of the context of that he was saying it in, it's, mm -hmm. it's not true anymore. He didn't right. even mean it that way. He only right. meant it right. within his context. Like, and that is essential to understanding. And that's something that structuralist thinking would, would recognize right away. Because in structuralism, you're looking at how things break down into their basic parts. Actually, structuralism is what most people think post-structuralism and deconstructionism are, is what structuralism is. And I've had to say this before, but I'll say it again. Um, you know, the, most people think deconstruction is the breaking down of things into their, their smallest components. Uh, to understand them, they think that's right. that's actually structuralism. <laughs> it's confusing, right? But it's, right. Sadly, that's the case, um, and that's really very much developed out of out of linguistics and the writings of people like Fernando Saucer and uh, mm -hmm. Charles Charles Sanders Peirce and all these other linguistic guys who are who are coming uh, writing as a foil. And, and, and a development against uh, romantic hermeneutics that you see really championed by philosophers like Friedrich Schleiermacher, who believed that yeah. the way in which we understand each other, and this was a very platonic idea, was that sort of our two souls would, would, would rise up and meet in communion on a higher plane in an ideal realm and participate in this ultimate reality of understanding the truth. And- So again, that also sounds like Buber too, though. Well, that's, see, Buber, Martin Buber would definitely develop that into a healthier place with his okay. understanding of differentiating, uh, you know, the two subjects, because you and I are both subjects in this, in, especially in the Buberian sense of I and thou, right? It's not, it's not so much subject-object as subject-subject understanding. And that's directly what led into the post-Heideggerian movement towards understanding things not as a thing, but as a lack of a thing. And this is going to take mm -hmm. right back to David Heimsmith beautifully. <laughs> Pardon me. <laughs> yeah. Because cause, cause that's when Heidegger was saying, look, uh, this, this thing that, we're th that we think we're understanding is not this platonic ideal, this ground that we're that we're based in in our, in our being is not is not sein, which is the German word to be. It's sein. He he was very very clear on this, and he said, "Being sein ist Dasein. Being is their being. It's it's so gra the ground is not the ground. It is the groundless ground always. Right. And and knowing is never knowing a f something entirely. It's always the knowing of what, of, of something Isn't. not yet, yeah. something right. not yet that is still coming. And this is where you get great, great contributions by writers like Emmanuel Levinas. And, yeah. and again, the, the interplay of philology and linguistics coming into intellectual thought at this time in the 20th century was very helpful for us to nuance the uh, totalitarianism that came along embedded in Plato. 
Well, and while we're talking about language, you know, like there's another thing that happens that's fascinating in German that, you know, I I don't hear in the English, and that is when you say kind, you know, like K E I N, yeah, you know, like the, the withoutness, you know, um, like that just it doesn't it doesn't work right in English, you know. Um, okay, now one other thing I got to ask you though, because you just kind of um, alluded to. Uh, or not alluded to, but you kind of um, compared Derrida with with Aristotle, right? Yes. So would you then say now keeping in in that mind? And again, you know, this is all this kind of stuff is really inside baseball kind of talk when it comes to philosophy. But I got one more as far as that goes. Would Baudrillard then be the current Plato for you, or like Derrida's Plato? You know. Um, I'm not sure. I, I, I never look too much at him. So okay. I'll stick with him, what I know, especially when it comes to these things that I don't want to uh, <laughs> pretend to know more than I do. Um, well, and see, I don't understand, you know, like I understand him better than Derrida, I think, you know, insofar as the, the, the copy becomes more real than the, you know, the figure as it were, you know, Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And, and in that way, you know, like that sounds to me again, like we're going back to realm of ideals. That sounds to me like we're going back to this transcendent essence. Yeah. So the know? fear that everyone has is, is that with, with deconstruction and, and Derridian thought that as soon as you remove these ideals or these platonic realities that, that, that are eternal within our mind or, or metaphysical reality, uh, that, that you have instant slippage into uh, radical relativism and, and just complete nothing, non-meaning. But that's, that's a mistake because that's not right. what was happening. Um, there's a big difference between, uh, uh, what's it called? Uh, well, you know, relativism and, mm-hmm. and, and plurality. So, so Derrida was more indicating the necessary understanding uh, of, of plurality. Um, I mean, essentially, his, his basic gesture was, was simple, which was to really sort of give the coup de grace to uh, the essentialist idea of sort of a one-for-one meaning of, of, of word and signifier and signified right so by and he did that by undermining what's what would be called the platonic metaphysics of presence the idea that there's just these eternal realities that correspond are that are addressed nominalistically by a correspondence to the words we use to describe them which is just it's just not true right so, and, and this is where we owe a lot to, to Derrida because the original movement, deconstructive movement and, and postmodern movement, this is, where, this is where Jordan Peterson fails to understand postmodernism or, at all. Uh, he's very, very weak on this stuff. And mostly he's railing against its uh, appropriation by, um, what, do you, what do you call them? Social justice warriors and critical theorists, which are, which are sort of like, 
uh, they're, they're, it's, you know, that's very, it's highly undeveloped populist, ex, you know, appropriation of, of actual philosophical ideas <laughs> for, for uh, social and political ends. It's not, it doesn't really fit well into the actual framework of the, the history of philosophy interpretation and, and how those things actually interrelate with their previous predecessors to give us a fuller picture of the development of human understanding. Um, as soon as you nitpick one of these pieces out and use it as a weapon against other people, it's, it's not, it doesn't represent the thing it came from anymore whatsoever. Um, and you can see that very clearly in, in corpses left behind by, by Derrida, which, and the corpses are very real because the thing that, that it was really trying to beat to death was the idea of like, forget just the gender roles that were eradicated because yeah. you people forget and for whoever yeah. comes after us they they might forget that like you know in our parents generations like there really was this idea that men behaved this way and did these jobs and were in charge of this sort of stuff because they were men and mm -hmm. that was it that was the tautology and women right. did this sort of thing you know and had their evening you know clean the house made dinner and then had their evening cocktail and everyone passed out with a cigarette in their hand and that was how it was for a mm. period of time in our culture right mm. and the, you know this was and before that women didn't even have the vote why didn't they have the vote because they were women and that stuff needed well, humans decided to that they were done with that way of thinking and the tools that allowed them to do that very much was the kind of deconstructivist thought of Derrida, which, you know, he said, he, uh, you want a line from his book, take the famous one in the Pado text, there is nothing outside of the text. So if everything in our reality is interpreted as text, and there's no one for one correspondence between words and the things they refer to, then what you are left with is an infinite interplay of interpretations or a bottomless chessboard or what you might call the play of traces, which is there's these, huh. these traces of meaning. Um, and if you want a great introduction, if anyone actually wants to get a great introduction to this sort of thinking, read Deconstruction in a Nutshell by John D. Caputo, which is in is a series of conversations and, and from a, there's a lot of good stuff. There's a lot of good stuff. And uh, this stuff has made its way into philosophy or in theology as well in the forms of like writers like Kevin Hart and uh, Christopher McIntosh. Or is that Christopher McIntosh? Maybe it's someone else. Um, a lot of even, even mainstream theologians like uh, Roger Haight in his Christology, uh, Jesus symbol of God, he's a Jesuit. And you see it in Karl Rahner, Hans Kung. These are all like Roman Catholic yeah. theologians. Um, and you, you can see them handling the development of from structuralist to post-structuralist thought quite well without their religious views and their whole worlds falling apart, right? Or them running around, you know, with saying crazy stuff about the nature of race. I mean, we've sort of flip-flopped from saying there's these these root races like Aryans and they're from Atlantis and they, they need to take over the world um, to going to this other far other extreme where it's like there's no races and we're there's no genders and we're all just Crowleyite 
androgynes, <laughs> but we still have to stay in our racial group. So they want it both ways. Um, so we have that we're in a, we're in a you know a state of extreme change and philosophical chaos at present, and I don't see that going away anytime soon. And that's mainly because we uh, we are we are not sitting well with either the Platonic or the Aristotelian. We we want total realities to govern and dictate our lives and to use as weapons against each other. But as soon as we try and deal with those total realities we can't and so we hide in the details and the nuances of them right like so we're we're beyond race and gender you and i right and as soon as hey well what does that mean does that mean like how does that work for like you know you who uses what restrooms and agriculture and and and, and you know priorities of needs and stuff in, in communities and then you say oh well we can't all just be the same because even though we're beyond that we are still defined by these things and you can't take something from this group without discriminating against that group it's like okay so we're doing completely opposite extremes at the same time and we're confused by the fact they're not working out very well yeah and that's just not surprising and that that you're going to get that anytime you get uh trends in in anti-intellectualism which is what's happened right we've got we've got a culture that literally doesn't believe in critical thinking anymore right. like right. and uh so that's a problem so let me ask you this question now because i think this kind of bridged a gap in my mind how do you think and and i want your answer as well as your answer for derrida but if there's nothing outside of the text then is there a difference between a higher genius and a holy guardian angel? And what do you think Derrida would say about either of those two ideas? That's a good question. Um, well, I think he sort of actually addresses, I think the thing you, in, the, in his book on death, it's got a great book on death. I can't remember the name of it. I talk about it in my main book. I, I talk about all this stuff. Um, okay. Yeah, I've, 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 I've solved all these problems for you. Don't worry. Outstanding. Yes, all these things that I'm talking about are not, are not just problems that I've identified. I, I've, I fixed them 15 years ago. Um, Excellent. Just haven't noticed yet, and they probably won't notice for another 40, 50 years. That's usually how academic writing works. Um, but right. don't worry, I've, I've already solved it. And people will notice one day. I'm, just, <laughs> I'm joking, but I'm also sort of not. It does take quite a while for uh, ideas to to transmit. Um, <laughs> I definitely have my approach to to getting through the the weeds, and there's a lot of weeds when it comes to this, uh, the intersection of philosophy and theology, um, mm, okay. especially as it is grounded today in our in our understanding of in our sort of post-linguistic world, uh, you know? So how does, how would, how would, I mean, the, the whole purpose of saying there's nothing outside of the text is, is, a, is a purpose of freedom. It's, it's to free us from the idea that there's an essentialist reality or an ideal form that should be governing and dictating our lives. I mean, he—it's—he—that's where he's—that's where his, his gesture is very kabbalistic, right? Like he very much believes 
you could almost call him a Kabbalist in a way. And that's, and if you really want to see the, um, the Kabbalistic movements within uh, Derrida's thought, read Moshe Adele. Moshe Adele shows how deconstruction, um, and this is in his book, Absorbing Perfections, his masterwork, uh, he shows how deconstruction itself is just, uh, is, is really just a rehashing of basic philosophical ideas that you find in Abraham Abu Afia. Hmm. Okay. Yeah, right. and it makes sense. Um, Was so, the book The Gift of Death? Is that the one you were trying to think of? The Gift of Death is great. Yeah, The Gift of Death, okay. death is, is, is a beautiful little book. Um, again, people don't like the idea that uh, Nietzsche or Derrida had, um, had anything to say about spirituality, much less <laughs> spiritual lives or even souls in their bodies because they're so evil. <laughs> but they they very much did they just um they had highly intellectual approaches to spirituality and that's not going to work for most readers or thinkers um, most of us don't like our spirituality with you know as, as sort of like the garnish on a phd platter it's just <laughs> it's not how we enjoy it we want it with crystals and incense or a yoga mat or in a mass in a church and we want it very sulfury and emotive with songs and smells but some people have a very intellectual approach to spirituality and it can be approached that way because you know we're living beings and any way we approach things is always going to become holistic in a sense as we live through it in our daily lives right whether you contend with it intellectually and kabbalistically or whether you some people are different some people have very grounded approaches to everything they do they garden you know you can garden your way to enlightenment i'm sure like yeah, what else is, that's what john michael greer is probably doing right is he's probably recycling and gardening his way to enlightenment Right. In his druidry. I mean, he, you know, <laughs> I don't want to be taken out of context there too much, but, but I sort of mean that, right? Like, um, you know, all the elements lead to spirit. So, you know. So, okay. Well, then let me, let me ask you that in a different way now. Um, do you think that, because that was one of the conversations that um, I think at least in part spawned our communication was my uh, post in the, the Golden Dawn Universal Forum about the genius. Mm. Um, do you think that there is a difference between those two terms? And, and or do you think that the genius is a physical, uh, we'll say a, I'm, I'm trying to make this as concrete as possible, a presence with a psychic um epistemological uh sensibilities yeah when we spoke um last time i had uh i was starting to think about this because i'd become aware of the debate um mm. again it, it's a it's a it's a, <laughs> a, a aaron leach sort of debate again unfortunately mm. i don't mean mm -hmm. to uh pick on his thought then again at the same time don't write books if you don't want people talking about your ideas yeah. well and on top of that though i mean like you know this hopefully this is garnering interest in his work because i i love his thought process you know yeah so. yeah i think i think it it will that's the thing these things bring up very 
real questions, especially when there's uh, vague elements of, or ideas within any system of thought and practice. Um, eventually they attract people having opinions on them and that opens up the floor for us to discuss those opinions and then come to more solid views on them and that's I think they call that dialogue I'm not sure it's the thing we <laughs> yeah. used to do before uh, shit went nuts but, I uh, before before uh, multi before two opinions were not allowed on any one platform <laughs> only, one, only one 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 opinion per platform please if if <laughs> you know but the, and if we don't like your your opinion and your platform will erase it <laughs> that's we are we are literally living in the very very strange times where it's like <laughs> i mean uh yeah. i mean that's we're, we're trying to it, we're know? trying to erase opposing views which is so so strange to actually be alive at a time where it is acceptable to think that we should erase the views of people who disagree with us like the idea that for me to imagine myself telling you right now now let's have a conversation but whenever i disagree with you i need you to change your mind and not have you anymore or i'm going to hit the delete button <laughs> on this conversation but not just the, but not the conversation just the conversation on your life and your right to speak um that's a really weird time to be in um it's an interesting time for debate for sure as well um and the the issue that i see that i've thought through with the holy guardian angel and the, and the higher genius i think is uh very much a uh, I think I think what's happened is just a very simple categorization problem because you have this term that has been used for a very long time in the Golden Dawn and uh, some, you know other groups similar groups to refer to the the higher self the higher genius or whatever and because it's been used that way it's become synonymous with that meaning but then you have people uh doing the grimoire ritual um and the the abramelin and saying they're just they're, they're discovering a distinct being that has nothing to do with their higher self right and you don't it's not just aaron leach saying this the first person i heard who said that was was uh you know scarlet magdalene kyrene ariadne i heard her say that um and i was quite surprised to hear her say that um, though I had no problem with anyone saying that because it doesn't disturb me at all. It just, to me, it's, it's a, it's, it sounds like people are talking about the angel that appears or the spirit that appears that you get in touch with through the Abramelin is a, is a grimoire spirit, is a spirit that is contacted through that grimoire doing that distinct method, which would then mean categorically that it's different from the thing that we are referring to when we use that, those three words, holy guardian angel, in the former context of the knowledge and conversation with, of your higher self that is achieved by going through the initiations in the golden dawn, right? So in the golden dawn, the purpose of the golden dawn system of magic and initiation is to gain knowledge and conversation with your holy guardian angel. And that's intimately tied into the system. If you then go and do the Abramelin 
and talk to a being that you say isn't that being, then clearly the only problem here is a problem of the definitions we're using to describe these, these experiences and what we're connecting with. There's no problem with a nominalistic, see this is where it ties into everything else, we, well, else we've discussed. There's no problem with it ref being a conflict of essential or ontological beings because it's just a terminological issue that people haven't been very detailed in discussing. Like if we think about it in <laughs> this sort of, if we look at the problem clearly, I think, I think the answers are staring us in the face. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So, yeah. so, uh, but if you want to be the problem then happens when, when you get this a very, it's a very platonic sort of gesture to uh, then say, well, I've discovered this thing is being through the Abermellon ritual and it's the Holy guardian angel. And then saying, so anyone else referring to anything else as the Holy guardian angel is wrong. That's, that's a, that's a critical problem. That's a problem of, of thought, a failure to understand the basic definitional structure of language that you're using to describe things. It's not a problem of the ontology of, of what being or state you're experiencing through either of those methods. Um, and if, if, if the struggle is to say, does the being you communicate with, is there, is there, a, I mean, is, is there a chance that the being you communicate and connect with through the Abermellon the same as the one or the knowledge and conversation you get through the golden dawn system of initiations and the practice of, of getting in touch with the higher genius because that's what you're doing it's definitely a higher genius thing you're trying to get in touch with in the golden dawn system it's not some uh separate entity from you which is right. what it sounds like people are experiencing from the Abermellon. and so to me there's that's no what it sounds like at, yeah. at all like great great so the Abermellon does something that the Golden Dawn system was set up to achieve, you know, to get you somewhere on a map, call it X marks the spot. And they, the, in those early days before, because none of them had done the Abermellon, but they had it, they thought, oh, this, this is clearly the same point on the map that this Abermellon thing also gets you to. And now people are saying, no, it's not. So that's fine. It doesn't get you there. Yeah. That doesn't mean that that original X on the map no longer exists and that the people who got to that X on that map aren't finding treasure there. They are. They have been this whole time and that's not going to change. Right. It's just not the same spot that they thought. So it seems what might have happened back then is a fundamental uh, failure to understand the Abermellon ritual, which would make sense because none of them did it. Okay. I mean, I mean, Crowley sort of tried half half-heartedly <laughs> i mean he was he was like he started to do it but then his servant ran away so he left scotland and went gallivanting around the world while doing it well Astral even that's a problem, problem right because he went through the <laughs> and and then also did liber samic right which is well he, a, he invented is, liber samic well right right but i mean you know um i guess what i mean to say is like um did he fail both of those? Did I don't uh, think he necessarily failed either of them, right? I mean, the guy was just like, let's get back to David Himes. Like, he's just trying to bat to bathe in the divine light. 
right? He's mm-hmm. connecting yeah. the, the Ain Sof. And whether you do it with Enochian calls and going through aethers or, or path working up the tree or just doing a really good middle pillar for a very long time, I don't know. But like, um, like when you, you know, there's this divine point of light of infinitude that we can bathe in and mm-hmm. those the, the clarity and profundity of that experience seems to change with frequency and effort and as we go through different stages of self-understanding like the temple of apollo would recommend we at least try um you know to know ourselves and therefore know the universe and as above so below as within, so without. I love, I love the the mis- misunderstanding of the Emerald Tablet so much that I use it frequently. But that's that's a subject for another time. But it's that 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 essential truth is still reflective of the experience we have of connecting with God. I mean, that's why sometimes the simple religious language is almost most effective, and that's why sometimes it's easy for uh spiritual leaders to just say you know just just go just go do the the practice go go meditate or go to mass and uh consume the communion and and you get where you get the more you do it and the more prayer you put into your preparation and the more you you know exercise your spiritual muscles the the more profound your your experiences and that's universally true right and all of the language and all the magical systems around that essential mystical experience are are in many ways dress up whether practical or linguistic that's how i sort of see it uh like so you know the debates around a lot of these things are if they're if they're not helpful in getting us to a place we want to be to the next point then i'm not sure they're they serve us they they sort of they're taking us in circles sometimes and uh that that becomes an interesting thing to think about when you then consider the debate about magic as not being uh part and parcel of a form of spirituality which is where you have yeah, the grimoire tradition is very popular right now. And Stephen Skinner, who would say, you know, the spirituality is nothing to do with magic whatsoever at all. Like, he's very clear on that. Yeah, right. I, I almost feel like I should ask him about it. But <laughs> um, but that's an, interesting, that's an interesting one, right? Like, so you have people today pursuing magic, but but not believing that their spiritual development matters in regards to it. And generally my opinion on that is, is <laughs> do what thou wilt, right? <laughs> like that's cool. Like if, if, if you, if you just want to do magic without it being a, a well, spiritual see, we gotta journey, add the, this the is, this is, yeah, 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 yeah. Add the St. Augustine element back into it. Love God and do what thou wilt. See, I mean, I mean, Crowley was essentially quoting Augustine, right? Oh, yeah. And, uh, and more recently, he was quoting, uh, what was it? 
I mean, well, Crowley literally lifted that stuff from the French writer. What was his name? Oh, Ragnar uh, Redbeard? No, no that, that's, a different, that's Midas Wright or whatever. Yeah, I talked. Uh, oh, you're talking about Levi? No, no, no. The guy, the, the French philosopher. Um, Bergson? No. I'm brain farting on the name. But yeah, I covered it in a previous thing. Uh, Chris Bennett talks uh, talks a lot about it in his Lieber 420. Um, okay. Uh, yeah, who Crow who Crowley used Crowley used earlier. Was it Rimbo? It wasn't Rimbo. No, it wasn't. It was what's his name. So so ev all, everyone listening knows they all know. Yeah, I just can't <laughs> I can't remember right now. But because again, it's oh damn, it's right on the tip of my tongue too. It's gonna bother me all day. I'll I'll find it later. But what's interesting to me to talk to you, especially to talk to you about, is is that that apparent conflict that we see now within mm. magic and or magic and uh, spiritual practice that's an interesting that's sort of fun that's sort of a fun thing to to look at is is magical practice and technique in contradistinction to spiritual journey and spiritual development i don't know um What's your thoughts? You got any thoughts on all of this? I've, I feel like I've been talking for a while, but you're asking um, serious questions and we're actually both trying to, we're trying to think, we're trying to do this thing that we used to do called thinking. <laughs> I mean, you know, I just, I guess I would have to hear Skinner. I want to hear more about how he's um, like, cause it, it sounds like, you know, you're you're dealing with this bargain with with Mercury, right? Where you're getting this technique or technicai, and you know it's turning it into a machine. You know, it's like, is it is it then that you're just just doing this for law of attraction? I mean, far be it from me to say, you know, like you said, do it that well, kind of. You know, it's like if you're not hurting anybody by doing it, I don't care. You know, if you're going to come to me for advice or to talk about it, you know, you're going to get a certain framework, obviously. I don't think that you can do this work without being um, tinged by it, you know. Um, I think that, and, and this is coming from a person who, you know, and when, when I joined the uh, EOGD, you know, when I made my application, uh, I knew that the one thing that would leave me out would be putting that I didn't believe in a supreme being or a supreme creator. And yeah. at the time, now mind you, I, I probably didn't know, like, like deeply know what the term meant. But at the time, I probably would have identified as an atheist. You know, I was working towards answering questions I couldn't answer through scientific materialism or through my church. You know, and so I, I don't know that you can get out of this work. Like if you're actually doing this work, you know, and your results oriented, you know, um, and that's all, you know, like that's all you're concerned with is what you're getting out of it. And again, this is not a judgment, it's just an observation. Um, there's gonna come a point where you're gonna start to say, man, this shit is effective. It's real, you know, whatever real means. Um, 
and then you're going to start. I mean, I, I can't, I can't understand somebody working in the invisible and not wanting to know more about the invisible, you know? Mm, yeah. um, and, and again, that, that might be my man in the high castle. There might be another reality where I exist, where, you know, I get right on with Skinner and say, yep, no, it's all technique, it's all method. Um, transforming your soul through this work doesn't matter at all. Well, no, um, I think he was just, he's just saying they're two different things. That's what I think. Oh, okay. that's, why I, that's why I don't find much conflict with his point of view at all. I think it's, it's very- Well, and I need to brush up my reading on him because- Yeah, no, well, this is, I, this is just something I heard him say on Glitch Bottle and then I heard Leach uh, respond with a, a riposte on on his view and and uh i think i think both both points of view were so busy staking out their terrain they failed to s sort of address the fact that they they weren't really in conflict um, ah, okay uh right. though 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 leech's view definitely is very solidly of the in in terms of he definitely makes it clear that that there should be or ought to be a spiritual a mystical journey and that if you're cutting that out from uh, magical wonder working practice that you are losing something that you ought perhaps not to lose from it and Skinner's point of view seems to be more that what you're losing isn't lost it's and it's still there like you know oh, Skinner, yeah. Skinner definitely has a spirituality he just doesn't oh, right, right. think right. it so, matters yeah. too much to his magic like that's just something different so it's like really it's uh, it's it's really a question of how how important do you think the definitions are and the distinctions mm. between okay. theurgy and thaumaturgy like i would i you and i would probably have the approach to think well they're just two sides of the same coin mm. and leach would agree and skinner would say no look they're they're two different coins and mm that doesn't bother me. I don't think it should bother right, right. anyone. <laughs> you know, I've talked to some people uh, at, at length about this, uh, who, who are more into the grimoire or the magical wonder working side of things. And, uh, and, and I've responded to their, their challenges or queries about my thoughts on this by sort of trying to say, look, if you're, happy with what you're doing i wouldn't worry too much about what you're missing out on if you don't feel like you're missing on anything don't worry about it <laughs> like yeah. don't right. don't sweat it um but i guess there's always that concern some people have that either they're missing out on something that is real that they would want or that they are not missing out on anything and the rest of us are wrong or nuts and just well, creating a fictitious hierarchy to uh, right. feathers in our caps, which so be the there's also a third approach, I think, and well, that is that, hopefully, yeah, right. I'm sure there are plenty yeah. more than that. Let's but, let's tease it out. Let's keep playing with this, yeah. these ideas. So, if I'm hearing what you're saying correctly, like where I do get on with Skinner, then and that ideology is, you know, there are. If, if our work is a wave line and, you know, there are peaks and troughs and just for sake of simplicity, we'll call the peak the highest spiritual points 
and we'll call the trough the uh, lack of spirituality. Doesn't mean that one is more valuable, yada, yada, yada. Um, but I think, you know, like those kinds of things, there are times in my work where it's like, I'm not worried about my spirit at all. I don't give a fuck about um, evolving it at all because it's going to take care of itself. The, the God of my heart has ensured that all of the phenomena I come into contact with is at its whim. You know, that thing that some people call a genius or an HGA, that's the thing that takes care of all of those interactions. <laughs> I don't have to worry about that. Mm. You know, all I have to worry about is doing the work that's been put before me and getting some kind of result, uh, you know, and understanding what that is and understanding the choices I made to get there. You know, the soul is going to take care of itself. I mean, it always does. You know, mm -hmm. so, so I, I can certainly get on with, with that notion. Now, you know, does that mean that, again, like I said, there aren't times where I look at my work and say, hmm, how is it I can, you know, apply my magical work specifically to my soul work as it were, you know? Um, but honestly, you know, like that gets... And, and, and it's unfair because, you know, again, like the work that I'm doing right now with those three exercises from 32 Keys, you know, it's annihilating both these ideas of a soul and a person altogether, you know. Um, yeah. All there is is God, you know, like yeah. when, when, when it comes down to it, you know, like you have that fifth principle on the, the round table, Yeshua Omnia. I mean, it's everywhere. It's in front of me. It's, you know, the things that I look at and interact with, it's the thing that keeps calling itself I, you know, that doesn't fucking exist. Right. So, you know? so whether, whether or not that is, has any part of magic is, can, can that, that's can remain something that people debate or, or mm -hmm. can feel undecided about if they want. Um, and yeah, you can, you can really just, uh, think about magic in terms that have nothing to do with the progression of your soul up that mountain at all. Um, right. and that seems to still work, which is fine. Um, right. uh, again, if you're involved in theurgy, then most of what we do magic for is to aid our progression mm -hmm. that that steep ascent and um I, I i did address this i did bring this up with with david heim smith and and he he his answer was was great because it was it, it was sort of how i feel and he and i had a lot of uh our very much our thinking is very parallel which was uh surprising to find because i don't find many people who th think about the nuances of this stuff the same way i i have come to over the years which is great i'm glad it was good to know i'm not sort of alone in my experiences and thinking and analysis mm -hmm. and because for me the theurgic thaumaturgic process of magic it's not about sides of the coin at all it's about mm -hmm. different stages of alchemy and it's right. about that 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 climbing up the tree of the serpent that kundalini force that rises up with the intake of breath and is held 
in splendor and glory. And that's the theurgic gesture. And then as you exhale, the lightning flash recreates everything again. And the serpent swallows its own tail as we cycle through this over and over and over again. And that's, that's how I see it. That's how the magic plays out in my life. Okay. And, uh, and so I, I, that's why it's, it's, I've never seen any conflict in, in these different ways of thinking about it, but it's fascinating to me that people are, are taking these different paradigmatic approaches to it magic and spirituality these days and because it's it's opening up some some very strange ground for us to discuss and have have discussions about about nuances that otherwise might not be discussed and that will inevitably will has already and will continue to inevitably lead to more and more insights into the nuances of of techniques and practices and experiences within both the realms of manifesting wonders in our lives and in the world uh and and also gaining gaining uh ground on that constant ascension up up the mountain and and down into the depths of our own soul right i mean that that inner world is intense and i i see initiation and magic as very much like our everything we do i see it very much as as sort of uh, similar to the Egyptian preparation for death. I think a lot of the stuff we do has to do with preparing our souls for the afterlife um, or the you know matrix of nature that, you know, and whether or not we are uh, sort of reborn in some state or shredded apart by the, <laughs> the uh, interplay of, of elements and spiritual beings and realms and mechanisms that make the make the universe constantly making and remaking it i don't know but i do know that i feel an overwhelming importance and value to what what we call that alchemy that 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 preparation of of the of the soul like I don't know if there's an actual God weighing our heart against a feather, but I think there's something similar. And from the things I've seen in spiritual realms on, on, an ex, on a personal basis, I have a sense that you can spend a very long time in places you wouldn't want to spend any time. Mm-hmm. Um, and that your consciousness can... Do you mean specifically like Bardo gaps or hell realms or something else? Okay. Yeah. I think, I think, I think the insights you can get from, uh, you know, entheogenic journeys and psychedelics. I don't think those are at all just chemical trips in the brain. And even if Mm. they were, I think they're, they would then be microcosmic reflections of some, external experience or reality that can be experienced so i don't actually know what happens when when we die and what happens you know none of us actually do and beware anyone who tells you they do um i mean unless you really need a a guru to slap you around then go for it have have fun with that (laughs) but i i i think that I think there's a reality there 
Um, and I think that there's a, something to be said about the, the body of light and the way we prepare ourselves and how well we deal with that afterlife. I mean, I love the idea of, of, of human souls rising up to become part of the Ashim and the holy living ones. I mean, that's a beautiful notion. And I think it's very possible that, that that's, we, we become these cosmic beings again when we die. But I also think it's possible that maybe uh, we end up in some strange cycles in some weird ass, funky, dark places and get spit out again for some other reality. Who knows? I mean, I love, no. I love, I love keeping it sort of a mystery as much as I love experiencing what we can experience of it in life. Mm -hmm. And that, and that's where I, I really think the Judaism has, has, and, and, you know, Greek cultures and the cultures that, you know, that focus on embodiment and uh, the enjoyment of the presence of God and, and the re physical reality. I think they have it right. I'm, I'm not a fan of, of sort of the escapist religions and spiritualities that spend all their time in denial of this world and trying to escape the flesh. Mm -hmm. I, uh, it's not, it's not my thing at all. I'm not going to call it toxic or anything like that because there's so many great, uh, writings and scriptures and religious leaders who come from those traditions who seem to, uh, really dig them. So it's like, you know, if, uh, if you think this world is, is evil and you should spend most of your time in a transcendental state, more power to you. It's definitely not my cup of tea definitely not and i don't know what <sighs> yeah you know i mean it's tough right i mean the 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 problem is is defining those transcendental states i think okay um what i mean by that is like again um and and i am not you know uh I, I cannot say I'm an evangelist for David M. Smith's work in the sense that, you know, like I'm trying to tout that I've uh, gained this or that from it, you know, like, or he has given me this secret teaching. Well, I'd be curious to my... know about, yeah, I want to hear, though I do, yeah. do tell me, because I haven't read his work, right? I literally haven't read any of it. I just got it. Right. I mean, I, so, I, I, you know, stayed up late reading what I could, but I haven't, I haven't, no experience of his stuff other than talking to him essentially and right. looking at the pretty pictures unlike you who have actually done his practices and been on live classes with him so i'm, I'm very so, curious uh please don't gloss over what no, you no, have no, found no. that is something i'm very curious about um oh, I, when, when i'm saying you know like when i preface that i'm just saying you know i i cannot um you know anything that i say is obviously my own experience and doesn't reflect the depth of this work because um you know like anybody else i'm i'm still like i'm practicing and learning right but with that said yeah, I that think should always that, sort of, it's, it's sort of unfortunate you have to say that these days that's that stuff sort of should always go without saying it yeah it should <laughs> and but you're but right days, you have to say it we have to say it these days um and so with that said though in my um, lived experience yeah uh 
he he approaches that question that you're talking about about the you know the escapism versus non-escapism and the work meets right at the crossroads you know in that point where that moment where i felt like the thing i would normally call i was empty and the room that i was sitting in and staring at was the the thing identified as what would typically be i that seems like a transcendental state and yet and still i'm still right down here in the dirt you know what i mean like i haven't moved or transcended beyond the astral planes or anything like that this is where the the magic was happening you know and it was amazing um that's i, I wish i could you know describe it better or you know whatever the case might be but i can't it's it's one of those things that's again beyond language but again what i can say is you know um you're right the notions of escapism you know it's like there's a reason that you're presented with any phenomena you're presented with you know there's no there's no chance happenings you know again if if you and i believe in a an hga or a higher genius or the god of your heart you know then you also have to believe that you're being presented with your way, your path, your initiation. Like all of this is on purpose. Don't escape this ship. You know, there's a reason. And I apologize for all the profanity. I know I'm cursing a little bit more than I was last time. But, you know, you're you're interacting with this for a reason, you know. And, and the thing that changes isn't what you're interacting with. You know, like I'm not, when I'm doing the three meditations or the three exercises, what I'm interacting with doesn't change, only my relationship to it changes, you know, yeah. and that is a world of difference, Yeah. you know, and that's a world I want to be in, you know, because like at any given moment, you know, the wall, the walls of my room are talking to me, they're there, and I don't mean it in a schizo sense. But, you know, it's like, it's me, it's, it's right. me, not me, you know? Well, and, and so, so you've brought us back to really the solution to a lot of these debates around uh, approach and methodology, the arms of the cross versus the point of the crossroads that we, which is where you want to get to, right? I mean, the whole thing of the Filfo cross is the, is the spinning that the, that the four arms and the the actually even the order of the elements i did a great lecture on the order of the elements on the filfo once uh because i realized that they were illustrating the process of manifestation the elements are in a different order than you'd expect and they describe quite clearly the process of manifestation from the appearance of the elements uh manifest in malkut as separate arms of the cross versus one spinning the whole cross becomes a singular point of light in Keter. Mm -hmm. And that really is, is the essential mystery of mysteries, which is that cataphasis always leads to apophasis. And from apophasis, we come out of it with experiences that we describe with symbolic language, the cataphatic descriptions of names and images by which all powers are awakened and reawakened. And again, that brings us back to what I see as the, as the 
the cycle of the serpent or the dragon of the Ouroboros, the lightning flash of wisdom and uh, the serpent Nehushtan. And, and, and to me, that's where I have this just very alchemical view of it as a process that I'm a part of. And I see that being, I, to me, that just is the most elegant interpretation of integrating these philosophies and theologies, these mystical cosmologies into a integrated approach to how I live my life. Because I wanna live my life in I guess what what you could call a grace-filled way and there's a way to do that and it involves the spirituality that takes me up and brings me back down over and over non-stop and somehow in that process I went from being you know a little suicidal 12 year old goth kid to being someone who wakes up full of joy and and you know gratitude and excitement and bliss pretty much every single day yeah. how'd that happen there's a there's a phenomenology that i'm interested in reveling in because yeah. that's that's the kind of you know pudding i want for proof that's right. what i think people want i mean that is what in the neophyte initiation in the golden dawn is called the you know, true wisdom, perfect happiness, the summum bonum, the stone of the philosophers, the stone of the wise. I mean, this is, that's what they call it. Yeah. Like what else is there? True will. It's a fun word. Yeah. It's a fun idea. Yeah. yeah. I, I, and it works. It works. I mean, there's a flow state in your life that if you work with it if you're in it pardon me uh, it's just it's you know it's not my you get you through will, some you know? <laughs> what the, the only problem that i i find i get what you're saying and, and i'm not you know whatever but i don't have a will at all like there again there's there's no me to speak of you know oh well the annihilation is an important part of this process yeah right yeah, yeah. So, well, that, so that, there is now, a thing. now you're going into the the mystery within the mystery. You're talking inner <laughs> mysteries. What yeah. is the true will? It's it's the annihilation of all will. Right. Yeah. Of course. Of course, it is. You know. <laughs> we, um, in case people weren't clear that that's what we actually meant. <laughs> you know. Um, that's why the Buddha is always so fat and smiling and laughing and just chilling out. It's, yeah. it's not just from the, uh, probably the Soma he was chugging, <laughs> chugging on to get a little buzz, but he's, he's, he's. But Soma helps. The divine laughter of, of the divine comedy of this reality. It's a, uh, it's a mystical state. And what's really interesting about what we're talking about now is how totally different it is from this other view of, of wonder working thaumaturgical magic and that whole approach to it. I mean, what we're talking about now is would just, they would, that approach would just say, that's not magic. That's just pure <laughs> mysticism. And of yeah. course, to, to that, you can only say, sure. Right. Sure. It, like Jake Stratton Kent, there's no Kabbalah in these grimoires. It's like, sure. Yeah. yeah. Cool. 
Now right. let's go to a let's, graveyard let's get and on with it. summon a spirit. Yeah. Because right. we're down with that too. Yeah. And that's the, like, okay, so that's a fun, interesting thing um, that happened while doing, you know, the, this work in the 32 Keys. There was a point where I was kind of afraid, you know, it's like, oh shit, am I not going to be able to practice the kind of magic I was practicing before? You know, like if, if there's no I, who's doing what and, and why, you know? And the, the fact of the matter is, is it makes it that much more interesting now. You know, it's like, wait a second. Yeah. If I was to do this, if there's no me, but there's this appearance going on, what does that mean? What is this phenomenon? What is this interaction happening here? You know? And why? Well, that's, that's really the zero equals two formula mm. um, in a way, because like most of the advanced uh magical techniques especially the healing ones that we would you and i would know from our from our uh golden dawn or inner order experiences and training um how do, how do i say this delicately without uh you know i'm not worried so much about vows but i'm worried about um misrepresenting so you know so in the in the healing there's you and the there's the healer and the, and the the afflicted there's you and another person right but we and and the way to the to to unify that two is not through one it's through zero right so right the two becomes zero not from one that's really horribly said um but yeah the 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 a lot of a lot of our techniques revolve around uh yeah the the moving beyond the one into the zero into and so and and that's where that happens and that's also sort of like where the glitch happens in the matrix um when you're doing a lot of, uh, you know, theurgical, but especially thaumaturgical techniques, when you're working with uh, certain um, premises of reality to manipulate, certain, yeah, just random choice there, um, <laughs> to, to manipulate the matrixes within nature, because, and David Heimsmith and I talked about this, because you can do it. Um, and he was very clear about that as well. He is, he's, he's not under the illusion that it's not a thing you can do. Um, but it's the same mechanism, right? It's the same mechanism that's allowing you to do that. And that's maybe where the, the two, the, the, it needs to be seen as two sides of the same coin, actually, now that I think about it like this. Because it's the, what makes it all magic is probably the mechanism that allows both mm. things to occur. Right. Oh, inter- yeah, agreed. Interesting. Um, you know, it's it it's also couched in the language of you know, like when the Paraclete says something to the effect of "we're two more gathered," you know. Um, mm-hmm. It's it's hiding in there. It's not outright, but it, it's the same idea. It's the same principle. Yeah. Yeah. I'm I'm curious now to see see if if there's much of this in 
next time I look through the uh, Egyptian Book of the Dead, I'm going to see if I can find any more traces of this or I've got a mm. Tibetan Book of the Dead. I'm curious to see if this, these ideas, I can find traces of them in, in older Akkadian stuff uh, and, and other religious philosophies. It, it's a it's interesting. That's one of my favorite things to, to study is to look for traces of technique in the relics and artifacts of, of, of older thought. I think that's where we right. get a lot of insight. Yeah. Um, for our yeah, absolutely. Um, it's where I draw a lot of my inspiration for, for ritual design and ritual work for sure. As even, even, even when it comes to just the the uh, the use of techniques in ritual in my personal ritual right like people uh, <clears throat> people underestimate the basics uh, of everything from the significance of uh, fourfold breath or meditation mm -hmm. relaxation meditations and like the symbolism of of the visualizations can often be as significant as the results of the technique right right absolutely. And that was one of the reasons why I went, uh, I got excited the last time we were talking and we, we spoke about meditation one because it bears a similarity, not necessarily sameness, but a definite similarity to, the, to some of the work in the 32 keys, the way that works, at least the way I practice meditation one. And I say that because, you know, um, and you know, you know, people had different results. They had different methods. They had different features, you know. But there were certain things that I came across when I was doing that, where, you know, perfection beat was a verb and not a noun, you know. Absolutely, absolutely. Well, it's it's all like with the, that's the beauty of all the basic um, techniques uh, is is they're so amenable to to variation again like like any like you'll learn in any any good martial art right you're not just there's not just one way to do one thing and that's that's what that's where practice comes in that's where practice and experience comes in that's why you can't just be told what happens in an initiation and have the same results as having gone through it i mean that's something that i'm worried about if you want to talk about the things that i'm actually concerned with it's not the debates about whether magic is horizontal or vertical or whether we are should include spirituality in it or whether what the holy guardian angel or higher self is that stuff i think is very simple once you once you think through it i think you can yeah. think, think your way through that stuff what i what's more concerning is this other trend i guess you could call it yeah yeah you know i hear what you're saying yeah um, well, and it, it goes part and parcel with the, the self-initiators, you know? Um, well, it's the, you see that in, yeah, say more on that. Like, cause that's, that's sort of where I have my toe in the water. Yeah. Um, you know, I don't have a, a, a judge or a jury on that, you know, uh, again. Well, I think the jury's out on that. Oh, the jury says that it doesn't work, right? Oh, is that the, is that the word on the street? I don't know. That, I, I, that's the problem. You know, that's what I mean. Like, I, think, I, I, I think, haven't heard. I think the jury's out on that. And I think the, uh, or if, if the jury's in, 
I can't imagine it being that, well, you know, like uh, Marco Visconti sort of said it, jumped, pounced on it right away when I, when I mentioned uh, uh, Damien Eccles. Um, mm -hmm. I mean, I agree with, I was already thinking what, what Marco said is, is Damien Eccles has pretty much proved that all mm -hmm. of this mm -hmm. works. Right. And he developed himself and his practices and if 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 he didn't if he didn't turn him like turn himself into a magic his way into adepthood and mm -hmm. that's 18 years in solitary mm -hmm. then i don't know what he did but it sure as hell looks like that's what happened it sure right, as hell looks right. like he really did ultimately prove that you it can be done that right. that's what he did. Like I've, I've even, I like I'm, I, I, I'm on his Patreon and I check out his stuff here and there. I don't <clears throat> rarely sit through entire things, but, but from what I can see, going mm -hmm. on, and you know, because he, he, you know, he'll, he'll do techniques differently or blah blah blah, but none of that matters. What right. I see is someone who really actually made themselves into as, as an adept, an adept as I've ever seen. He doesn't have uh, the formal training a lot of us had because he unfortunately didn't get to be going to initiations. He was being beaten in solitary while yeah. the rest of us got to prance around Bodai tree and buy books. Right. And uh, that's, tra that's horrific on every level and humbling is all hell when you think about what that man has been put Yeah, through. and Those see, that's what I mean. But you know, like before, okay, be, it, no, it, well, it just it's it seems to me like like Marco said he did it, like it worked. Yeah, he took right. all this stuff in whatever forms and whatever bits and pieces he could get it, and he made it work. And he found the the underlying techniques and right. made them right. work for him in his environment. And what else can you want? Like what yeah. else? What other evidence do you need? And I was really glad Marco said it so profoundly, be and observed it as seriously as I observed it. It was yeah. good to hear that from someone else, especially from like the OTO tradition who we, we tend to have us GD and OTO people have some <laughs> variances now and then who knows why, but they exist. <laughs> um, but again, we're, he and I are also both like also out of those traditions in a way. Um, yeah. Interesting, we're, we're both sort of independent, but the, that, the, the accomplishments and the state of, of speak for themselves yeah yeah no i don't disagree with that and i wasn't disparaging that yeah i know i think uh not having considered considered it you know i would have said the jury was out but and this is this is where i was going with it you know if it works for you why why not do it you know like um one of my favorite authors and one of my favorite books is robert anton wilson's prometheus rising and he states in chapter one what the thinker thinks the prover proves. So even though you and I are of the mind, and so is uh, Marco Visconti, that that this is the case. You know, again, that man in the high castle reality. There's somebody somewhere else saying, "Yeah, no, that's bullshit. It was this and that, and yada yada yada." And I'm not going to fight you on that. If that's your belief, that's horrible that you have such a loser script. But you know, whatever. Um, 
Well, of course, I just said there's... I'm not going to fight you on that, but then I'm I'm picking <laughs> their argument as I'm saying it. You know. Yeah. Um, yeah, I but, heard that. But no, I you know like if you think self initiation works, you're going to prove it to yourself. You know. Well, I think, and here's the thing. Here's the problem. The problem again, I think, is is the the, the there's this this dualistic approach to initiation and like initiation works. Right. Yes. The okay. Idea of initiation versus self initiation might be fruitless mm-hmm. as distinct things. That might be a dead end that we've all been banging our heads against, perhaps. Um, you know, because we've, I mean, uh, you know, David Griffin and a bunch of other douchebags out there put themselves yeah. through real initiations. There's heads of orders who've not gone through their own initiations. The founders of the didn't yeah. go, yeah, didn't go, probably didn't go through their own ceremonies. Their own ceremonies weren't anything like what we know today or even what was known 10 years after that order was started i mean moina was busy scrying the five six rituals and implements as they went along and they probably did each ritual different almost every single time which is why the idea that there was ever a fixed perfect version or form of the the gd system is so absurd because it's it was always it was a work in progress then it's a work in progress now and it and you know these people want to treat it like it was it's, there's some ideal platonic reality or form of it it's, that, that is exactly that is exactly the the kind of thing that we know doesn't work and leads to this kind of ideological i'm glad you pulled that back thing. together to that. it's 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 fundamental to human thinking in general that it's a hermeneutic problem and that's why it, it keeps coming up and it always will come up as long as people uh uh, uh you know don't want to think and as long as we have a, a, a society structured around um, conflict and polarization rather than education, let's say, to keep it simple for now. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, self-initiation, the problem I think that I see keep seeing happening is, is, is really in, in, in contrast to this idea of, of information equaling knowledge and mm-hmm. knowledge mm-hmm. equaling this automating experience and 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 mystery and and results like just because you have knowledge of something doesn't mean you have the results of the application of that knowledge and just because you have information doesn't mean you have the knowledge that that information is intended to give you well and use the tree you know um, right if i tell again, you just because you have knowledge you don't have understanding and you may not have wisdom Like if I tell you that the element is hot, that's information. When you touch it and burn yourself, that's knowledge. Yeah. And when you don't touch it again, that's the application of that knowledge (laughs) and perhaps the beginning of wisdom. Right. Right. Absolutely. Or maybe wisdom is the recognition of, of analogous information instantly becoming knowledge because you could see it relates to this other information you got that you then try it out through experience and therefore you don't have to do every single thing wrong and experience every single mistake to to get from information to wisdom but when you apply that to initiation or magical practice 
it's a it's a it's a curious thing because you see this very common trend now that to own a book with information about a practice or or like that to to own David Heim Smith's books is the same thing as to have done the practices like you actually see this this belief now that if you know what happens in in say the five six initiation it's the same thing as if you had gone through it this is a this is this is a, a something that surprises me because and what surprises me about it is that it's this is a belief people actually have and it become it's becoming more and more common for this belief to be accepted as true and i'm I, i'm curious to talk to you a bit more about that because it it ties in with the self-initiation idea especially as regards the idea that you could self-initiate based on knowledge without experience and and the real key linchpin there seems to constantly be um, trial and and challenge. Like if 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 Damien Eccles got to where he got, I think a lot of it has to do with the challenge and trial of the situation he was in. Because yeah. the thing that you don't get and that I didn't get when I tried to self-initiate 20-something years ago, um, and I put a lot of work into it, I thought, I thought at the time. But there, I wasn't really challenged or tried in any way. There was no, there was no fires of test and trial. And it's significant in, in our temple in the Golden Dawn that those are the tetrahedrons at the top of the pillars. Because if you think of the thing that initiates consciousness, which is the middle pillar, it is the fires and test and trial that crown the two pillars of force and form and those polarities of light and dark electric and magnetic or whatever however every single polarity you can imagine it are symbolically represented by those two pillars and their union in in godhead happens in keter and the, and then beyond into the end so through those tetrahedrons and they represent the fires of test and trial so you have the fire coming back which Heimsmith addresses <clears throat> and you have this constant this indicator of the need for challenge which Eccles got to go through unfortunately in a horrible way yeah but um there's no shortage of the great philosophers and mystics of our human species discussing this reality right I mean right right the the mystery is the ex is the experience and yeah. the Eleusinian mysteries showed that the all these mysteries show that you couldn't they never they you couldn't tell anyone why was it secret because this sharing the information wouldn't make a difference wouldn't initiate the person but now we have this information age and and the democratization of knowledge and humans seems to be rushing in a very greedy fashion to feel like they can have um, accomplishment and initiation without without work without productivity without creation of anything at all yeah. that you can just buy buy it you can buy progress or something like that i don't know this is where I, this is the thing i constantly sort of think about right um well I'll tell you what, if if I haven't bored your listenership to zero um, with some of the things that I was bringing up today, uh, we should do part three 
because I, I do unfortunately have to get going. Uh, um, written four o'clock no worries this has been delightful yeah. as always i i was yeah, absolutely excited to to get more into these ideas with you because it's again because we come from such similar background um right. it, it it's it seems like you're it seems like we can talk about these things in a, in a for sure and we still have another topic that uh we were talking about in messenger that we need to bring up but uh again i gotta i'll have to table it for now i no do want to Okay. I, I definitely want to talk about it though. Is that the time? <laughs> Are you yeah. serious? Oh my God. Oh yeah. That flew by. Yes, sir. Well, this is, uh, yeah, this is, this is, this is wonderful. I can't believe it. <laughs> Has it really been three hours? Yeah. Yes, sir. It feels like, I mean, almost it's, it yeah. wasn't quite, we didn't start no, right. It wasn't quite. We, yeah, no. Oh my God. Brother, what a delight! I feel like, yeah. <laughs> like we're definitely gonna have to meet in person one day and oh, uh, for sure and talk for a weekend. <laughs> Do I think? Uh, yeah, um, we barely touched on anything. It seems right, but but yeah. uh, I don't know. Hopefully, it was valuable to people out there to hear us. Well, it was, it was to me for sure. Thinking out loud, which is I don't know. We're, we're just practicing Kabbalah here, right? We're just practicing right. Kabbalah, just like. Back and forth, mouth to ear. Hopefully, Jesus showed up at some point and inserted a bit of <laughs> a jism of truth into our dialogue. How oh, Right. Yeah. All right, bro. I will let you go and have a beautiful, beautiful weekend. Likewise, brother. I'll talk right. with you soon. Yeah, much love. Cheers. Much love, man. Later. Hermetic Science Enterprises is a publishing company based in Scotland, UK, that specializes in Western esoteric printed literature, as well as educational videos. With various imprints under its belt, its roster consists of grimoire tradition literature, alchemical works, Golden Dawn tradition books, and the several texts and videos originally belonging to the philosophers of nature. Besides its downloadable videos and standard hardcover edition books, Hermetic Science Enterprises also produces beautiful and precious limited fine edition books that are true pieces of art. For more information to order any of its products, please visit www.hermeticscienceenterprises.co.uk that's hermeticscienceenterprises.co.uk. And as a lot of you know, I've uh, talked with the publisher Lenny on the podcast before, including a six-hour epic uh, extended version on the Patreon, and uh, seen the fine edition of his new grimoire of Scott's Discovery of Witchcraft, which is only available for purchase up to 50 limited copies uh, till the end of May, I believe. So check it out now. HermeticScienceEnterprises.co.uk